From the early 1980s, Billy Joel, My Life. That was actually the theme song to a sitcom called Bosom Buddies. And the star of Bosom Buddies, actually one of the two stars, was Tom Hanks before anyone knew who that was. Welcome to Poker Fraud Alert Radio, the Druff and Friends show. Tonight I will not be broadcasting solo. Tonight I have two co-hosts. One has been on the show before. One has never been on the show. So this will be interesting. In fact, one of them, I will admit, I've never spoken to in my life. I've spoken to him in text message and in PMs on the forum, but never on the phone and never on the radio. So this will be an interesting one. And, you know, so far I've been happy with all the co-hosts we've had. Let me quickly tell you about our free roll before we get anywhere tonight, because once again I started late, and I want everybody to have a chance to play. Uh, This is not going to be that large of a free roll, as far as I know, unless there's been money added that I'm not aware of. Let me go see, just in case. Just in case someone added money at the last minute and I'm unaware of it. Let's see if... No, no, we didn't get anything. All right, so here's the story. Uh, We have a... $40 free roll tonight. It's not that bad. A little bit less than usual, but not that bad. $35 came from Willie McFML, so thank you to him, and $5 came from RealChaser74, so it's a $40 free roll. Here is the prize pool information. First place will be $20. Second place will be $12. Third place will be $8. $20, and 8 Three prizes. So this week, probably the first week we've had in a while where we are paying out less than $50. But, hey, it's still something, $40, and it's completely free. It's on the No Fraud Online Poker Room. You can get there by clicking on the No Fraud Online Poker button near the top of PokerFraudAlert.com. It's completely free. You don't even need play chips to play in the No Fraud Online Poker Room. The only thing you need to qualify for the free money is... Oh, wait, hold on. Hang on. One second here. Trader SHKY, a very generous guy, has donated $10 once again. He always likes to make up for our shortfalls, and I appreciate that very much. So he said he's shipping $10 to make it in even 50 So here's the new prize pool numbers. It's going to be 25 for first. It'll be 15 for second. And it'll be 10 for third. 25, 15, and 10 are our new prizes. $50 prize pool. Thank you, Trader SHKY, for making up the final 10 that were short of our usual $50 minimum free roll. There's no reason it's a $50 minimum. It's just kind of, I don't know, for reasons of past shows I've been involved with, I like everything to be $50. (laughs) Some of you know why. So... To qualify for the free money, you have to have a registered account on the Poker Fraud Alert Forum as of June 1st, 2013. It can be June 1st, 13, or before. If you don't have an account registered on the forum prior to that date, or on that date, then you need to email me, dandruff at pokerfraudalert.com, dandruff at pokerfraudalert.com, or PM me, which is Dan Space Druff on the forum. One of those two, and get my permission you need to do it within the next 10 minutes or so before the free roll starts. 
Get my permission to qualify for the free money, which you can do by convincing me that you've been listening for at least the last three weeks. And the way you can convince me of that is by telling me some of the things you've heard on this show that have not been described in the show description. So tell me some things that you heard. Either get more detailed or tell me some things I didn't even mention in the description for the last three weeks worth of shows or more. Convince me you've been around for three weeks or more, and you will have a lifetime exception to qualify for the free money here, as long as your account remains in good standing on Poker Fraud Alert. I would like to ask that if you listen to this show, come to the forum and participate. Even if you find the Flying Stupidity section to be a bit overwhelming, or there's too much trolling for your taste... You can always post in one of our other sections, because those sections have no trolling. There's no trolling, no fighting allowed in any of the other sections on the site. So, at least participate there. Just make your voice heard and give us a wider variety of opinions. Because we have a lot of people listening to this show, but not that many people posting on the forum. I mean, there's enough to where the forum has new messages every day and stuff to read every day, but I just would like a wider variety of people. And I, we're just not getting that. Most of the people listening to this show just listen to the radio and that's it. So, just wanted to put that out there. The free roll is starting in 10 minutes at 7.10 Pacific Time. It's No Limit Hold'em. No late registration, so make sure to get there. Tonight, we have two co-hosts, as I mentioned. We have Garrett and we have Level Account. Level account is not really a level account. This is actually his only account on Poker Fraud Alert. And Garrett, well, he's Garrett. A lot of people don't like him on the forum, but he did a pretty good job when he co-hosted with me one time recently, so we're bringing him back. So it was actually their idea to do this together. I don't think they know each other too well, but for whatever reason, they wanted to do this together tonight. And I said, okay, sure. So going to put on level account first, then we're going to put on Garrett, and then we'll get going with the show. So this is level account. Hello. Hello. Okay, so level account, I just want to warn you about something before we even continue. I see that your account here on Skype reveals your real name, which I'm not going to say. Yes. But you seemed a little concerned about you know me not giving that out, which is understandable since there's a lot of trolls and other people on the forums. But yeah. when I connect Garrett on, he will see this information. Are you okay with that? No, that's fine. I've already connected and talked with Garrett to okay. test everything. I just so. wanted to do a full disclosure. Now, none of the listeners no, will see this, and uh, the people who call into the show will not see this, but uh, I will see it and Garrett will. Okay, so let's put yeah, Garrett on, and then we'll get the show going. And so far, you sound good. No, no issues with uh, Skype, which is good, at least so far. Hey, we're winning. Okay, so here we go. Commit level account, who's got a picture of the Atlantic City boardwalk and the casinos there as his Skype picture. Garrett, you there? Hey, Jeff. How's it going? Well, it's going okay, but you sound a little bit like you're in a tunnel. Is that right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Is this mic? Uh, hmm. Yeah. You Let sounded fine up. last time. Go back to what you did last time. Yeah, let me get that out. It's a little bit old. <laughs> call you back. Call me back in a second. All right. I, I knew this was too easy. I knew like when I connected level account on and everything was fine. I knew we we're gonna have a problem somewhere. It just doesn't work like that on this show where just everything worked perfectly in the first shot. Never. Why would it? 
No, never. So, all right. Uh, let me just check with the chat room since we are using new equipment for the second week here. I see the problem. I, I had you turned down a little bit too much. I think it's better now. I don't want you to be louder than me, but I want people to be able to hear you. So go ahead and talk now. Um, yeah. Okay, very fuck, good. Very good. Fuck you, hockey guy. <laughs> okay. So I feel like I'm initiated because he said fuck you to me like he does every week to you. Okay, so very good. <laughs> if you want to communicate with me during the show, here are the ways you can do it. First of all, you can call either of our two phone either of our two phone lines. The first one is the main phone number, which is seven seven five Fraud 55, that's 775-372-8355. You can also text me on that phone number, 775-372-8355. You can also call the Mount Charleston line. Now, I actually went there. I went to Mount Charleston on Saturday, and I examined the Mount Charleston line just to make sure it was okay. I'm not kidding. I was really there. In fact, I will post pictures of this later on in the forum of my trip to Mount Charleston to check on the phone. So I was really there, and, uh, you know, the mountain actually has a good deal of snow. I was surprised. I'm talking about the ski resort now. Good deal of snow on the mountain. Some of it's man-made. Not exactly the best skiing conditions, but it is late March in an area that isn't known for great skiing. But it is still open, and the coverage looks pretty good on Mount Charleston. So anyway, the Mount Charleston phone number is 702-430-1808-702-430-1808. 1808, and you have to show your caller ID when you call either phone number, or you will not get through. You'll get like a busy signal. Now, if I don't answer the phone, it means that we're in the middle of something, so just try back in about 15 minutes, and we will probably answer. You can also text me and tell me to answer the damn phone at 775-372-8355, and of course, there's the chat room. If you go into the chat, which you do by clicking the chat button on the top of the screen of PokerFraudAlert.com. There is a chat room. You need a registered account in the Poker Fraud Alert forum to be able to access the chat. And I will try to read that as much as I can. Since I have two co-hosts tonight, or hopefully two, I will have more time to listen to or to read the chat as I tune out my co-hosts and pretend to listen to them. So, <laughs> so <laughs> So, uh, but no, it's really good to have co-hosts, uh, both for resting my voice and for being able to read the chat. Especially, I'll tell you, these weeks I've been doing the show alone. When I'm done every single week, my voice just hurts. And I'm actually glad to be done with the show. So I'm hoping this week it won't be like that. should drink some green tea. I don't like tea. I've never. I'll tell you about tea. I think I've mentioned it before on this show, but this is the reason I, I don't drink tea. And I'm serious here. Uh, in 1977, I was five years old, and I was at a pool of one of my parents' friends' houses. And uh, you know, they had kids also my age, and we were all swimming in the pool, and it was a hot day. So I get out of the pool, and I see what looks like apple juice. And boy, did I want that apple juice. Apple juice was my favorite drink back then. I don't like it anymore, but as a kid, I loved apple juice. So that just sounded so good to have cold apple juice when I was so hot, swimming there on a hot day. So I go up to the apple juice, I pour it quickly down my throat, and I spit it out. I I tasted something disgusting, and that was iced tea. 
I didn't expect iced tea. I had never tasted iced tea before, but since I was expecting apple juice and got iced tea, it traumatized me to where I never liked the taste of tea. Because all I could think about was expecting apple juice when I was five years old and getting this bitter tea. So that was it. I can't have iced tea or any kind of tea ever since that happened. Now, people in the chat room are, con- uh, are accusing me of drinking piss. Okay, I did not drink piss. I was five years old. There was really no one there who was going to piss in the iced tea to screw with a five-year-old. There were no older kids around. And I don't think my mom's friend pissed in the iced tea. I really don't think that. I could imagine it tasting very terrible for a five-year-old yeah, expecting apple juice. It did, and that was part <laughs> of it. I was expecting the apple juice. If they said, hey, here's iced tea, try it, I probably would have tried it, not liked it, and then tried it again later in life. But here so I was expecting the apple juice. Yeah, it was, it was really traumatic. I remember it like it was yesterday, <laughs> even though it was in 1977, which was like 37 years ago now. So that's, that's what happened. Um, <laughs> someone saying in the chat – Next on Druff and Friends, the floating candy bar in the pool story. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, look, I'm just being honest here. I, like on this radio show, I really tell honest and true anecdotes from my childhood and young adulthood. And, and uh, you know, you guys can get to know me better from stories like these. And now you know why I don't drink green tea during this radio show. I feel like I heard that story before. Have you ever said that story on the radio? I, I don't know. I thought I did, but maybe it's one I've held back. <laughs> I, I think uh, Garrett's ready. Yeah, okay. Let's put him back on. Let's put him back on. Free roll starting in just three short minutes. By the way, I have another cold thanks to Benjamin. So if uh, you hear me blowing my nose in the background or quickly muting myself, which I'll try to do, then that's what's going on. But not as bad as the cold I had like earlier in the year. But yeah, I, I gotta, I gotta just power through these things here. Otherwise, we'll never have a show. Okay, okay Garrett, you, I hello. hope this works. Uh oh. <laughs> what happened? Like Let's go back man. to what happened a few weeks ago. Go go back to whatever you did a few weeks ago. Okay. Yeah. Just, this, this is no good. Okay. No, no. Uh, yeah. no. It's unfortunate because it, it seemed fine. I, I will give me a minute. I'm I'm sorry about that. I mean, if we want to do bathroom radio, this is great. The, the terrible. Oh, okay. Give me okay. a second. Shut the fuck up, Donnie. <laughs> I, it, sounds, it sounds like he's on the toilet, honestly. <laughs> yeah, like he's in a bathroom, actually. Yeah, yeah, that's what it sounds like. Because if you're on the phone with somebody, I, that sounds familiar. Yeah, Maybe that's where he bathroom. is, and he's blaming it on the mic. He's, Maybe that's what's yeah, going he's that's what he's doing. He's he's sitting <laughs> in the bathroom and trying to conceal that fact. Yes. Oh, it's my mic. Oh, is it better now? He probably thinks he turns <laughs> yeah. off the fan; it'll get better. Okay, so let me give you the agenda tonight, and. Uh, then we'll try to get Garrett back on. At least I have a, a backup co-host here in level account in case Garrett never gets the whole thing going. So here's our agenda. A former lock poker pro has done an interview. I, I can't quite say it's a tell-all interview, but it's an interview about uh, what this person felt was going on behind the scenes at lock during the time he was a pro there. The person will not give his name, and I don't really have any guesses as to who it is, but I will read parts of this, and I will give my reaction to everything this guy said, because I I really don't think that this person was being very honest, or if they were, then they weren't very informed the whole way. In addition, Lock Poker 
is still trying to sucker in depositors. I was thinking maybe they gave up since they were trying to move to this stupid Super Wins platform. But apparently they are trying to get deposits. They went from a $3,000 bonus to a $4,000 bonus to this week. Now you can get a $6,000 bonus on Lock Poker. $6,000 for new money on Lock Poker. Bonus, it's all yours. No strings attached. <laughs> no strings at all, other than you won't get your money. Wow. So six thousand. I'm wondering why they don't just have like a million dollar bonus. Why not just go for the yeah, gold? Here? I mean, just give it away. Why yeah, not? Yeah, you know? or a billion dollars. It's not just, like they're paying anyways. Yeah, I like like why not have like a billion dollar deposit bonus at uh, <laughs> a million percent? Like why not have yeah, that? Screw the March Madness bracket, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah. <laughs> it's just just go to Lock Poker and yeah. register. Yeah, I bet you'll get people depositing, going, "Oh wow, a million dollars." I don't care if they probably won't pay. What if they do? What, what if, if this is worth a thousand yeah. bucks? What if they do? <laughs> The sad part is, is people are that stupid too. Yeah, that's why I'm wondering why they don't do it. <laughs> you know, I think since they they like those uh, that Rat Pack imagery and all that to, to promote the site, I, I think what they should do is get a little bit more modern. Because the truth is, the people playing on Lock they they know very little about the Rat Pack other than hearing that their grandfather watched it. Uh, <laughs> they should get more current, not completely current, but more current and. Use this to promote their next deposit bonus. Yeah. Deposit One and you get a million dollars. Yeah. That's what they should use. That's easy game, man. That's marketing yeah. right there. Yeah. So They should hire you, Druff. I, maybe that's what they're going to do next week. <laughs> make next, maybe next week it really will be. One million oh, so dollars. So that's what's going on at Locke. We'll talk about that. We have tips for the World Series. I do this every year, but... Why not? I know it's a bit early, but the World Series is only two months away. It starts in late May. We're in late March, so it's only two months away. And the reason I think these tips should be given now is because if you've decided to play the World Series uh, you know, two months from now, then you've made all your plans and you're coming whether I give you tips or not. But I'm hoping by giving these tips, not all of them are from me. They're tips from me and from a member on our forum named uh, Jay Jammy who actually finished second in a Limit Hold'em event. But we're gonna re- I'm going to read these tips, and maybe it will convince you, after hearing these, to take a shot yourself at the World Series, which I recommend if you can afford it. So we'll do that. Uh, happy birthday to Ken Scaler, who's 44 today. Give a little tribute to him. Dewey Tomko, remember Dewey Tomko? And Bill Byers pre- are pressing for... Further security testing for the current legalized poker rooms in Nevada, New Jersey, Delaware, etc. They think they're not secure enough and that further security testing must be, must be done. Now, why are these two so concerned about it? Well, they've got oh, a bit boy. of a selfish angle to the whole thing, which we will talk about. Well, there is a debate that occurred. Andy Abood, who is uh, representing the anti-legalizing online poker interests debated Caesars Interactive CEO Mitch Garber about online poker. And it actually started out as a pretty reasonable debate. In fact, people watching it were thinking, wow, this Abood guy's pretty good. He's actually bringing up a lot of good points to where he may actually be ahead in this debate. It, you know, Maybe the person, the casual person watching this would actually side with Abood. Well, that lasted some time until Abood just completely fell apart. 
he fell apart, and then once he fell apart, he lashed out. And by the end, it was a very embarrassing scene for Andy Abood. And people in the audience couldn't believe it. I'll describe what happened there. Every week, we've been doing editorials on this show. This week will be no different. This week, the editorial is when your online poker is number two, you have to try harder. And that's not a reference to shit. That's a reference to <laughs> being the number two or lower ranked poker room in whatever market you're in. How it's not just okay to sit there and hope you rise to number one. That You have to do more than that. And the current legalized online poker rooms in the U.S., which are behind, the ones that are number two, number three, number four, are not doing that. And I don't understand why. So... I'm going to give some advice to these rooms, the ultimate pokers of the world, on how to try to get some of that market share back because these are ghost towns. The Palms, remember I did that story about uh, the Palms manager first. uh, Some incorrect information came out about he was uh, stealing money out of the jackpot pool, but it turned out that even though he probably wasn't stealing anything, there was a a lot of uh, mismanagement going on and a lot of... uh, Stuff going on that probably shouldn't have been. Anyway, the Palms is taking over management of that poker room very soon. We'll talk a bit about that. And at the end, we will have to ask Dan Druff and maybe even ask Garrett and ask uh, Level Account, which is where people in the chat or through text or through phone calls ask free-form questions that we answer. Let's see how Garrett is doing here. He Skyped me. I hooked the mic I was using last time. I hope this works. This is three minutes ago. Let's see if it works. Fingers crossed. Hello? Okay, Garrett. Uh, let's see how this is. So, Garrett, keep talking. I want to hear how you sound. Okay. Does it sound better? Yeah, this is pretty good. It's not perfect, it but it's pretty good. It sounds a lot better. Yeah, it's, it's a... Okay. You don't sound like you're on the toilet anymore. So that's, uh, <laughs> that's, you're not yeah. hiding in the bathroom anymore, Garrett? Yeah, no, maybe he's I, I done don't know here. How that... <laughs> you know, and it worked. He and I had talked last night. And to make sure everything was fine, and it's yeah, like he, it worked fine last night. So hmm. I don't know. Well, maybe last night he uh, he had already gone to the bathroom of the day. I don't know. <laughs> but all right, so let's move on with the topics here. And free roll. If you are in, you're in. If you're not, too late. It's seven sixteen. And thank you once again to Willie McFML Trader SHKY and Real Chaser seventy four. Poker Fraudler has given away more money in its free rolls than any poker podcast in the world, and this money has almost all come from the user base, not me. So that's impressive. So I want to talk about the lock poker situation. Every week we've got a lock poker story here, it seems like, and this time we have an article written by Steve Ruddock, also known as Steve-O, and... This article is called Interview with a Former Lock Pro, and it's on a site called OnlinePokerReport.com. And basically, and the article just came out today. This is what Steve Ruddock wrote wrote in the article. For most in the online poker community, Lock Poker's time is officially up. That's definitely true. Lock Poker has had its naysayers, but in the past year, the site has devolved from just another occasionally maligned online poker room to being nearly unanimously condemned by the entire poker community. Also true. With withdrawal times that stretch back over a year in some cases, and with a list of players owed in the neighborhood of $1 million or more, 
I have to go with much, much more. That's just the money we know about. So I would doubt if they only owe... One million dollars. To the players. I'm sure it's much, much more than that. Of course, they also owe a lot of money to the Revolution Network that they screwed. But uh, going on here with the article... The once prominent and always controversial U.S.-facing online poker room has officially gone off the rails. Now the poker world is looking for answers. Now, when he says gone off the rails, it hasn't gone offline. I, I think he just means that nobody wants to play there anymore. I recently had the chance to speak with someone who had some of these answers, a former lock poker pro who wished to remain nameless. So... When I read this, I said, all right, this is interesting. Maybe, maybe this is someone who has a lot of information that I was not aware of and that I had no access to as just an outsider commenting on them. Because I really didn't have that much inside information about Locke. I had a few insider tips. For example, I was the one who broke the Portugal retreat story when they couldn't pay anyone and they were taking expensive retreats to castles in Portugal. So I'm the one who broke that story thanks to a tip from an insider. But in general, I really don't know many people at Locke that are willing to talk to me about what was going on there. The Portugal thing was kind of an exception from someone who was so pissed off they wanted to tell someone. But this person wouldn't tell me anymore after that. Anyway, I was very curious to see what would be said there after all the coverage I've given Locke poker, all the negative coverage, all the deserved negative coverage. So this is what the person said first in the interview. Locke wasn't always a nightmare. And then Steve went on to say, I was told the company wasn't always bad, or at least didn't appear to be from the point of view from someone on the inside. And the person goes on to say, even when Locke was having speedy cash outs and was a growing site, they had a ton of negative PR on 2 plus 2 and via word of mouth, which was ridiculous, my source explained. Wait a minute. A ton of negative PR... On 2 plus 2 and elsewhere, that was ridiculous? Yeah, I didn't say that. I mean, why is it ridiculous? I, I'll tell you, I've been following this whole lock thing since the beginning, since the beginning of the controversy with them in 2011 with the whole Jira thing. I have not seen a single thing said about them by any reputable source on the forums that has been ridiculous. I've seen some speculation that turned out maybe not to be true, but I've, I haven't seen anything that's outright ridiculous to where you would dismiss everything else being said about them. I'm, there were two very major scandals that occurred in 2011 and 2012, long before the cash-out problem started. But these, these scandals should have been indicative to everybody watching that problems were going to be on the horizon, that we were not dealing with an honest company. Because let's think back. We have UB. We have Full Tilt. I think by this point, the poker community should be very suspicious of any online poker operator that is not acting on the level. And when you see one acting really shady, you have to think, okay, stealing all our money is probably on the horizon. Would you agree? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I'd say, I mean. Yeah. What about you, Garrett? What do you think of this? Wow. You know, I'm not shocked. I think if you're still playing um, on sites like Lock Poker in 2014, you know what you're getting into. So you kind of understand the risk-reward involved. So obviously that doesn't make it right, and maybe they're capitalizing on that, Lock Poker. So that's wrong, too. But um, 
it's hard to really feel as bad as one should for the players because you kind of know what you're getting into with these sites. Well, it's funny. I don't yeah. feel bad for a lot of them. The ones that continue <laughs> to play, the ones that continue to deposit and play and support them, it's one thing if you had money trapped on there already, so you're like, okay, well, you know, it's too late. They've got my money. But if you're putting on new money there, uh, that and you know about the situation there, that's pretty bad because what you're doing is you're enabling it. You're enabling the scam. If everybody stopped depositing, which it, it'll never be everybody because there's always going to be some people who aren't aware that are just misled by the ads. But if you know about it and deposit there, then you're just supporting them. And uh, I definitely don't feel sorry for those people. I do feel sorry for the ones that had money on there originally when it seemed safe. And then, uh, and then it's stuck now. But I will say I don't feel that bad for the people I warned on 2 Plus 2 saying, hey, get your money off there. This place is acting really shady. This is before the cash-out problems. And the ones who said, ah, you don't know what you're talking about. It's fine. You're exaggerating. It's no big deal. You know, those people kind of deserve it in a way. I'm not saying I'm happy they lost their money, but I'm saying when there were all the signs and you were aware of all the signs and you didn't cash out then, you made a big mistake. And I've been saying this forever. When, a, when an online poker company is acting extremely shady, extremely shifty, and lying to the players constantly, it's just a, sh- a matter of time before a major, major scandal unfolds, and that's what happened here. So... You know what I didn't like about Locke personally was uh, they were like exploiting the uh, like desperation of American players to play. Basically, it was like you know there's a lot of certain percentage of, of online poker players that were going to play no matter what, and they facilitated that. You know, well that definitely was yeah that was definitely their business model, and their business model also was to give like way 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 too much rake back, and entice people in that way and in, in uh, to steal players from other skins, which is known as poaching. They did that too. They did everything they could do to get players over on their site and to deposit money there, and with no, really no regard for the future of either their own site or online poker in general. They just, they just wanted to get players there and just figured somehow they'll become the next poker stars and it'll all work out. And of course it didn't, because their, their business model was not sustainable. I, I believe a lot of the money was stolen, and a lot of it was just wasted by too much marketing, by too much rakeback, and by using player funds for all that instead of operating funds, and that there went all the money. And I'm sure um, mm. the, the vacations to castles in Portugal and everything else that Jennifer Larson blew the money on didn't help. But um, See, uh, sorry, go, go on. That's the reason, and that's the reason I uh, that's the reason I stopped playing online altogether in, in 2011 is because I just didn't trust any of the sites. I uh, I was like, you know, everybody kept asking me, why aren't you playing? What site are you playing on? I'm like, you know, I'm not going to play. I'm going to kind of wait and see how this all turns out. And sure enough, you know, Lock Poker probably would have been the site I was playing on. But, you know, I mean, after after Full Tilt wasn't paying anybody, I, I thought it was pretty obvious that, you know, <laughs> if you can't trust a site like Full Tilt, I mean, how are you supposed to trust a, a small site, you know, like Lock Poker? You, you know, know? I, I agree. I actually stopped playing online poker in any of these illegal rooms as well. Because for the same reason, that, well, two reasons. One is I didn't trust any of them. Uh, some I trusted more than others. Locke is the one I trusted the least. But even Merge has done some you know, kind of semi-shady things over the years. I don't expect Merge to outright rip everyone off. But at the same time, if it happened, I wouldn't be shocked. And, uh, and same with all the other networks. I just can't completely trust them. They all have a degree of shadiness to them. 
And furthermore, the games aren't even that good because it's so hard to deposit on these things. And so many people are scared to play. There just aren't that many fish. There's too many good players, not enough fish. The levels are lower. The games you know, that are running are not as high as they used to be by a good deal. So, like, for me, like, the 1020 limit games uh, are actually tougher than the 100-200 games were on Stars for quite some time. So See, and that's that's the whole thing is, like, you know, okay, so Stars is gone and Full Tilt's gone, and they left the country. Like, they're not... They're, they, they're not serving America no more, right? So what makes you think that these small sites, you know, are going to be legit at that point? You know, common sense should say, okay, well, <laughs> if the two biggest sites are gone, then what makes the little sites any better or, you know, what makes them actually going to, you know, pay out? You know, it's like... Yeah, and I've said this, you know, I've said this before with... Uh... Sorry about my sound there. I turned myself down too low. I, I've said this before as far as trusting the current sites is that any site that is still willing to operate post-Black Friday is pretty ballsy and not necessarily ballsy in a good way, but in that they're willing to really, really take a big chance about going to jail. And you have to wonder, do you want to trust your money with people like that who are willing to risk jail time that, that easily? What kind of people are these? And the only one I say you can trust at this point is Bovada. But then Bovada has those anonymous tables, which I hate. It's too easy to cheat on those things. So that's why I just quit. I just quit. You can't win. <laughs> yeah, I, right. I just quit. I just quit online poker, except for the legalized rooms in Nevada. Uh, that's the only things I play. And, you know, those are kind of hit and miss because the activity isn't very high on those. But those are the only ones I play. At least I know those are regulated. At least I know my account balance there. I will get that money, provided I don't lose it. So, anyway, um, someone asking in the chat room, by the way, who keeps snorting the coke? <laughs> I don't hear <laughs> that, any coke snorting that here. That would be me. Oh, you're snorting. <laughs> I'm not, but I, I was out smoking a cigarette. Okay. It's cold outside. Okay, so. so you're the one snorting the coke here. <laughs> speaking I, I was of that, sniffling. <laughs> you know, speaking of snorting coke, we're probably not going to get through, but someone wants me to call. Toronto Mayor Rob Ford, who actually gave out his home phone number voluntarily, and I'm sure he's gotten, I'm sure he's gotten so many calls. I'm sure he's gotten so many calls, but but I'm going to give this a shot very shortly. It's already fairly late in Toronto. It's already 10:30 uh, there, but I'll give this a shot. It'll be funny if he answers. But I mean, I have to imagine he must have gotten like thousands of prank calls by now. But who knows? Maybe he enjoys it. Maybe he's that weird of a personality that he actually uh, answers the phone for thousands of prank calls. Everyone saying in the chat room, please do it. I'm going to do it. I'm just saying I'm, I'm not optimistic he's going to answer, but I will do it. All right. So, uh, <laughs> but yes, we will call Rob Ford. I forgot to put that on the agenda. Anyway, uh, getting back to this Locke thing, we will call Locke, Fo- uh, Locke Ford, Rob Ford, <laughs> after this uh, Locke segment. So, there were two big scandals in 2011 and 2012. One was the Jira scandal, where they had a contest to win the most money. This is in 2011, in a certain month, I think April 2011. Uh, to whoever wins the most money on the site gets a free main event seat and some other prizes. And on the final day of the contest, one of their own site pros had $100,000 dumped to him by a friend, Hasib Qureshi, and... Um, that allowed him to win the contest. So he went from like 95K behind to like 5K ahead thanks to the 100K that was dumped to him. So Locke not only awarded this cheater 
who was their own pro who they were trying to promote, this uh, Jira guy, not only did they award him the victory in this contest without even bothering to consider, like, how did he win? How did he get 100K dumped to him on the last day? How is that a valid win? For some reason, they were okay with that, and they awarded him the prize. But then when there was ensuing outrage about it and Locke realized they weren't going to get away with it, they disqualified him. But here was their statement. Here was the statement from Jennifer Larson regarding uh, Jira. Jose Macedo is his name. We pride ourselves in standing for trust, legitimacy, and loyalty. <laughs> she really wrote that. The truth is sometimes hard to stand by, that's for sure. Uh, but, some, but it's the only way we can move forward. Although Jose won enough money from his own IP to have legitimately won the challenge, the unfortunate fact remains that breaking the rules is strictly disallowed. It nevertheless remains Jose is an exceptional player, and I firmly believe that his mistakes will only lead to greatness if he learns from them and himself moves forward. Now, the important part here was, although Jose won enough money from his own IP to have legitimately won the challenge, he did not win enough money to have legitimately won the challenge. The guy who legitimately won, won like 95k, Jose won just about nothing. The only money he, quote, won was the 100K that was dumped to him on the last day of the contest. So how could she say this? Well, her words were from his own IP, which is very, very misleading. What she's trying to say is he won enough money from his own IP address. Well, yeah, he was on his own IP address, but he was cheating from it. He was getting money dumped to him on his own IP address. So who cares what IP he was on? So, But the way she worded it made it sound like although he won the contest fair and square, since he technically let someone use his account at one point, and they won a little money too, we have to disqualify him. Which is totally not what happened. So, when I saw that in 2011, in the spring of 2011, three years ago, I said, oh my god, what a shady company. It's one thing if their own pro cheats. It's another thing if they sweep it under the rug to try to let him win for PR sake, because whoever won that contest was going to be on the cover of Bluff Magazine. But it's another thing to actually come out and disqualify him and claim he wasn't cheating and still try to sweep it under the rug and still try to claim, even after he's been caught cheating, that he wasn't cheating. I'm like, wow, this Jennifer Larson is amazingly shady. And that was when I first started to beat the anti-lock poker drum. This is in 2011, way, way, way before the cash-out problems. But that wasn't the only scandal. A year later, they had what was known as the casino bonus scandal where they promised people like 20% extra rake back, and then went back on it. I'm not going to go through all the details again. You can read about it on, the, on Poker Fraud Alert in the Lock Poker Avoid thread on Scam Scandals and Shadiness. You can read all about that. I'm not going to rehash it. But that happened a year later than in 2012, again before the cash-out problems. Now, how can this pro be saying that there was stuff on the forums that, um, that made it to where they couldn't uh, necessarily keep you know, take all of it seriously. This is what the guy said. Or you, you, I already read that about how um, via the negative PR, which is ridiculous. So Steve Ruddock went to write, went on to write this heavy criticism, which the company and its pros viewed as unwarranted, had an unintended consequence as it caused a lot of the staff and the pros not to give a shit what people on the forum were saying. 
This outspokenness and speculation allowed Lock Poker to dispel, and to dispel any worries about cash-outs, as some of the other rumors were simply not true, and the staff pros knew it. Lock was always communicating to start with, says the pro. They were always telling the pros that player funds were segregated and that they were processing many cash-outs. Well, okay, they told the pros that, but what does that mean? Nothing. The thing is here, if these pros were paying attention, they would have seen, number one, that the JIRA criticism was completely warranted and indeed was very, very shady on Locke's part. And number two, that the casino bonus scandal was terrible and very bad on Locke's part. Um, last part. So this wasn't a case of Locke being unfairly criticized on 2 plus 2 and um, not getting credit for it. It's not a case of 2 plus 2 is ripping them a new one and the pros are like, hey, we know this isn't true, we know that isn't true, okay, these people aren't reliable, we can't trust them. This pro is trying to treat it like it was the boy who cried wolf, like 2 plus 2 is falsely accusing Locke of things for so long that by the time a real story came out about them stealing the cash-out money and not cashing people out, that nobody wanted to believe it. But that's just not the way it went. That's not the way it happened. There were two very legitimate stories, big stories, the Jura thing, the casino bonus thing, in 2011 and 2012, that any pro who was reading 2 plus 2 would have seen, and if they paid attention, would have known that their company was shady. So why didn't they leave then? Well, because Locke was cashing everyone out. Locke was paying them. They, were, they had all these great perks. They were, they were playing on Locke anyway. They were making money in the games and with all the extra perks they were getting. So why not? Why not delude yeah. themselves into believing everything's okay? You almost had to be an insider to profit from Locke, right, at that point? Well, you know, people were making money there. I mean, the games were pretty good, but the, the th- and they were paying people out at that point. But I'm saying the pros were willfully ignoring the bad things that were happening because as far as they were concerned, all right, well, they lied about the JIRA thing and tried to cover it up. Uh, who cares? Well, they, they promised everyone 20% extra rake back with this casino bonus thing and uh, didn't go through with it and lied about it and uh, stalled people. But uh, who cares? Uh, I'm still making money. I'm still getting paid. I'm still getting extra rake back because I'm a pro here. So, so why would I want to give this up? They're saying to themselves. So, so they convinced themselves that people like me who were making a big deal about these stories were just a bunch of whiners. We're just a bunch of exaggerators. And these people, these pros who convinced themselves of this did it in their own self-interest. They, they believed it because it was convenient to believe it. They made money by believing it. So, yeah, it's just a cop-out. Yeah, yeah, yes, exactly. So, so um, these were huge red flags, and you can't say this was not a shock what's been happening with Locke. What happened with Full Tilt was a shock. This was not a shock. Now, then there's the story of the expedited cash-outs that the pros were said to get. Uh, one of the most infamous expedited cash-out scandals was the Melanie Wisner thing, where she was buying up uh, funds at a discount on 2 plus 2, and then she was cashing them out quickly through expedited cash-outs that were given to her through Lock Poker. This happened in uh, March of 2013. So basically a year ago, people couldn't cash out of there. Melanie's like, hey, I'll buy it for you know, 75 cents on the dollar. I think, yeah, I think the rate by that point had plummeted to like 50 cents on a dollar. So she was buying it above that rate, and people were thrilled. People thought she was doing them a favor. But in reality, she was taking advantage of it because she was getting priority cash-outs and getting 100% of that money. So 
Uh, and there were other lock pros doing this as well. So a lot of controversy of why are the pros getting expedited cash outs and why is everybody else forced to wait? So the article says, one of the hot topics on 2 Plus 2 concerning lock poker after it became apparent the site was unable to pay its players was whether sponsored pros and other high-priority individuals were receiving expedited cash-outs, something some of the pros who were willing to post on 2 Plus 2 scoffed at. But it turns out this was likely a service many of them were either knowingly or unknowingly receiving. Pros were, ex- pros were expedited cash-outs even if they didn't realize that they were, says that uh, lock poker pro being interviewed. A lot of them didn't know they were being expedited because they didn't follow 2 plus 2. If a pro got a check or a Skrill withdrawal every two months, which seems very slow, how would they really know it was being expedited? Well, at first that sounds like a reasonable argument, that maybe they just didn't know that two months is expedited. But I don't believe it. I think with very few, perhaps, they weren't aware. But for a long time, in 2013, people were tweeting to every lock pro they could find bitching about the very, very long cash-out times. So I just don't believe that they didn't know that two months wasn't expedited cash-outs. I mean, even this Brian Pellegrino idiot, this uh, primordial AA who posted on 2 Plus 2 defending Locke, um, after heavy involvement in that thread defending Locke every day, he claimed, after all that, that he didn't realize that his cash-outs every six to eight weeks were considered expedited. (laughs) I mean... This is what I mean. This is the same thing Pellegrino said. I don't believe it. It's just a plausible deniability, which to me is not plausible. So you might wonder, why is this guy saying these things? Why is he claiming that the pros didn't really know they were expedited or some knew, but a lot of them didn't? Why is he claiming that everything seemed okay at lock for a while? They had no reason to suspect anything was wrong until it was too late. Why was he defending the Jira scandal? I'm going to read something else he said about the Jira situation. He said, I don't know if Locke tried to cover it up or not. I really don't think they did. I already explained that one. So why is he defending Locke in so many ways? Well, he's not really defending Locke. He's defending the pros of which he is one. Because now that Locke is crashing and burning the focus turns toward the ones who are promoting it for a very long time, including for a long time after it was clear that Locke was not paying anyone. And these people now look very bad. These people look very bad for assuring the public things will be okay, for continuing to wear wear the Locke patches, for continuing to promote Locke poker and their bonuses and their tournaments on their Twitter. So these people need to set up a blanket excuse that they can give everyone so when they get confronted at the World Series or wherever they are, that they can give these answers. Hey, we were taken by surprise. Hey, everyone was getting their cash outs. Hey, I didn't know my cash out was expedited. To me, I thought two months was pretty slow. I didn't know everybody else was getting it much slower than that. Oh, Jira, no, I I thought it was just a guy cheating. I thought Locke disqualified him. I didn't know there's anything with them covering it up. Like, they're trying to come up with, like, a blanket answer to the question of, why did you stay for so long? Why didn't you jump ship a long time ago? So, even though this pro is not giving his name, even though we may never know his name, people do know he is a lock pro, whoever he is, and he will have to answer to people at the World Series or whoever else he sees that's going to ask him about it. So he's already planting the seeds to deny these things and to blame it all on lock and none on the pros. So, uh... Reaction. What do you guys think? Well, um, 
if you want answers to anything, just follow the money, right? Isn't yeah. that uh, kind of standard? So, I mean, I don't blame them for trying to cover their ass, but, you know, I mean, what do you do in that situation? I mean, because I, I don't know what they were making. I don't know, you know, if that was their livelihood, but well, it, it if was. I was in that situation... I don't know. I mean, it depends on how much faith they had in the site and, you know. Well, they deluded themselves into having faith. There's a difference between Mm -hmm. real faith and faith because you want to have it. Kind of like the same way a mom has faith that her son isn't a scumbag criminal when he really is. (laughs) And everybody in the world knows her son's a scumbag criminal. But the mom, you know, believes up to the last minute that her son must be innocent. And just because it's more convenient for her to believe that her son's not a monster. And it's the same thing with Locke. It's the pros there deluded themselves into believing that they're not taking dirty money, and they, they didn't want to look. They didn't want to see. They didn't want to see the truth. And so now they're well, trying to set that, up an excuse. I think that after a certain point, obvi- I mean, it, it becomes obvious that, you know, the site's trash. Yeah. You know, um, Annette Orbstadt stayed way too long, and the grinder stayed way too long. But, uh, you know, in the beginning, you know, the first six months, eight months to a year or so, I mean... There was the jury was still out on all that, you know, from the from the Jira scandal and everything like that, you know, and the payouts just kind of it slowly progressed into longer and longer payouts and stuff like that, you know. So I think the guys who stuck around in the beginning, I mean, you can't really blame them because I mean, how can they not have at least some faith in their employer, you yeah, know? Let me tell you, know, you I. If, 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 I, I Go ahead, Garrett. Go ahead. Garen, go ahead. Yeah, I, I honestly think, like, at the end of the day, for, for from the player perspective, some people don't want to play without an edge. And there wasn't much online poker going. And, I mean, yes, you're attaching your name to that brand, but on, at the same time, you're free rolling probably live MTTs. You're getting raked back. There's a lot of, like, free equity and things that are coming along with that. So you're risking your name to get, like, an edge in the game at a time when poker was already, like, probably... Well, yeah, that, that's what they were doing. to some, you know? That's it, the reality. You can say it was something else. Right, exactly. Well, no, that's what they were doing. It was for money. A lot of these people did not have much money, and this was the only way they could continue in poker. But, uh, but still, uh, if I were one of the pros there, let's say I was a lock pro, and the Jira thing went down, uh, I would have been very upset by it. But let's say Jennifer came to me as a lock pro and said, Hey, Todd, look... <laughs> Um, I know you're very unhappy by the way this is handled. And yes, Jira cheated, and um, you know by the time we realized it, we we had to find a way to, you know, we could disqualify him. But if we admitted that we knew he was cheating, then uh, then it looks very bad for us. So we we just had to put a PR answer out there about how he technically won it from his own IP, blah blah blah. And you know we realized that's not what it was. But if we admit that yes, he was cheating, and one of our own pros was cheating, and we were about to award him the prize, that makes us look both shady and incompetent. So we can't do it. So we're just peddling this little white lie to kind of worm out of this one, and we had nothing to do with the cheating. Well, I would have been very unhappy about that, and I I don't know if I would have believed her, but I I could see. I could understand where someone would say, okay, we'll give them a pass this time. They, they were left in a bad position where one of their own pros cheated, and then uh, they awarded him the prize and then were caught with their pants down. So maybe they told some lies to worm out of it, which is not good, but you can understand it. Uh, but where I would have really just jumped ship and they would have totally lost me was the casino bonus scandal where they promised people rake back, extra rake back, and then just don't give it. Just say, F you, we're not giving it too bad. And... When I would see a company I was representing doing that, 
I would get up and leave. Even if it wasn't indicative of the future of stealing all the money. Just just by that alone, I'd say, wow, you promised people this and you're not giving it to them? I mean, that's equivalent to stealing it. Like, I, There's no excuse for that one. There's absolutely no excuse. And they just did it because they could. So uh, that's where it would have lost me. And that's why I was hoping you would lose the other pros. And at the very least, I'm hoping the other pros would jump ship as soon as it became clear that the cash outs were a big problem and that uh, Locke was both not being clear about it, not keeping promises, and would not provide any evidence they really had any of the money to cash out. At that point, that's when you jump ship. You either say, hey, show me the money exists or I'm out of here. But they don't say it because, as you said, Garrett, they want their edge. They, they need the perks they're getting there to, to continue being winning players. There, there's people out there who can't beat poker now, who used to be able to, but they can break even, and if they can break even and make money off like really high rake back, then they can still make a living. And that's what some of these people needed. Yeah, and all they got to do is turn their head. Yeah, and that's what they did. Look the other way. I don't think there was... Yeah, and if you were that, like, invested in online poker, like maybe this ACE's primor, whatever his name is, uh, that guy, you damn well know what what you were getting involved with. Like, because lock poker's a cover of the Gira chip dump there was shady. Right then, like, when they didn't distance themselves from Gira and and the situation, it was almost like they understood it was going to happen on some level. and, And then when... Or maybe they didn't, but they didn't distance themselves enough from Giras. So you understood it was like a company issue. And then after the fact, they all jumped on board and took the free, you know. Yeah. See, now, see now what do you do, though? What do you do if you're just a regular guy with a family and, you know, you played online poker for a living and then all of a sudden, you know, poker stars can't, you know, go away and everything, you know. So now what do you do? And you're, you get a chance to support your family still and stay in poker. But then all of a sudden, you know, now there's this scandal and you're like, okay, well, what do you do now? So, I mean, I can almost understand where some of the, you know, some of the pros stuck in there a little bit longer. You know, I mean, because, I mean, I don't know, anybody with a family would understand. I mean, I've got a family, so, you know, I'll do anything I have to do to to take care of them. You know, aside from... You can go get a job, though. That's the thing. There's obvious things. Because the reality is, is, like, when you're, like, starving uh, and homeless... You know, Nobody really cares either on some level. You know, you're dependent on the system. So I, I, yeah. I get it, too. Yeah. I'm not... Well, but, uh, look, I, I just couldn't... I wouldn't be able to live with myself. I wouldn't be able to live with myself if I had... If I knew that people depositing money into lock were very possibly just never going to see it, that they were just depositing basically into a scam. And that's been that's been obvious for a long time. And... A lot of these people stayed on so long past when it became totally obvious, and that's really the worst. That's where you really have no excuse. What I what I don't exactly how did they kind of get off of that? What do you mean get off? What do you mean get off? They trans they like transitioned owners to Jennifer Lawrence. No, 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 no. They didn't get off anything. All they did was say, "Okay, we're disqualifying Gira. That's it." He's disqualified. At first, they didn't even drop him as a pro, which is really laughable. Uh, they they covered right. up. They tried to pretend he didn't cheat. He just you know did something against the rules, and that uh, they're disqualifying him for those te- that technicality, and they're going to give him another chance. Then they eventually dropped him, but um, they never fully explained the whole thing. And th- I know the explanation. I know the truth. The truth is, the only thing I don't know is whether they were complicit in him doing this in the first place. I don't know if he did it without their knowledge, 
or if he did it with their knowledge. But either way, after he did it, they definitely knew. And when Jennifer made her public statement about how he won enough from his own IP to have legitimately won the contest, they were definitely covering up and lying about it. And, and they didn't even drop him as a pro immediately. So, I mean, just uh, right from there, right from there, it was so clear that this company was super shady. So, um, finally, I want to read one more passage from this interview with this uh, Lock Pro. This, this part actually bothered me the most. This person said, By the time 2 plus 2 knew for certain the site was broke, with no real proof, of course... What do you mean no real proof? No one's getting any money. Of course there's proof. And, and Locke was still selling it about 80 cents on the dollar, which, by the way, hasn't been for a long time. Uh, which means that some people were getting hefty cash outs that otherwise it would have been much lower. I heard of one non-pro basically getting bi-weekly Skrill withdrawals for 10k. He would purposely drive the price down on 2 plus 2 and buy as much as he could on the site. Then he would rake 20k or more per month to keep getting the expedited cash outs. He was making 20k a month just by working the system. So what this guy's trying to say here is that um, the prices for lock money fell so much because people were really getting their cash outs and pretending they weren't just so people would lose faith in the site and then uh, sell their money for less, and that there was one guy they knew of who was actually getting expedited cash outs because he raked so much. It wasn't a pro on there, but it was just someone who got faster cash outs because he raked so much, which I believe was happening, uh, and that he was pretending he wasn't getting his cash outs just to keep having people um, you know, sell money to him and, and not believe he was cashing it out immediately. Now, I believe this story is probably true, and whoever did this was kind of a scumbag, but I will say this. This guy definitely did not caused the lock poker value to fall. The value of lock poker money that was being traded on 2 plus 2 fell sharply, not because of one or two people doing this. It fell because of massive amounts of people saying, I am not getting my money from lock poker. When you have hundreds of people saying that, that's when the value falls in the toilet, not because one or two are pretending they're not receiving when they really are. So I I don't know why this guy's even saying this or telling these stories. I I guess it's kind of interesting in one way that... uh, one guy who was getting the expedited cash outs was pretending he wasn't just to take advantage of people, but that didn't drop down. You know, that didn't uh, make the price fall. And the pro went on to say this. Someone who wants to drive down the price on 2 plus 2 just has to be very active. There are many ways to do it. They can fake long withdrawal times. They can start rumors that Locke had all of its funds seized from foreign banks or from, foreign, from processors being shut down. And he's referring to the fa- This is actually a rumor I started. And it wasn't a rumor. It was told to me that Locke lost money in the Cyprus banking scandal. And I still believe they did. But whether that was true or not, I didn't do that so people could uh, sell their lock or buy lock funds at a cheaper price. I reported that because it was told to me by a reliable source. And it seemed to somewhat explain what happened to all the money. So this guy is saying that a lot of the naysayers about Locke they were saying they weren't getting their money. They were actually getting their money and just pretending they weren't to take advantage. I don't believe that. I don't believe that other than like maybe a few people, if that. I don't believe this was happening on a wide scale. And again, this is guy, a guy looking through rose-colored glasses or wanting us to look through rose-colored glasses at Locke. The truth is that Locke was not processing cash-outs for quite some time. And that's what happened. And th- that's why the value plummeted so much is because they just weren't processing cash outs. And now we're, we're like a year and a half past some of these cash outs that were requested. And be- they, don't, they still don't have their money. 
Yeah, and I don't think uh, I don't think one person is going to cause lock poker money to go down either. I mean, yeah, you know that's like, yeah, it just makes no sense. Yeah, so that's I yeah, added up all the things that were I, I added up all the things that were said in this article. Just the quick bullet points here. He said lock wasn't always a nightmare. It, it seemed like it was okay for a while until the cash out things happened. He said the expedited cash outs uh, keeps coming in and out. I hear you for a bit, and then uh, oh, lose, uh the connection of some scene sounds like. Uh, you there? Level account? Can you hear me? I can hear you. Yeah, I think it's on your end there, Garrett. It's all you, Garrett. Uh oh. God damn it, Donnie. Yeah, it could be this setup. Oh, no. <laughs> Sorry about that. <laughs> All right, well, get, okay, Garrett, uh, hopefully it stays okay. So anyway, adding this up, the guy said, number one, that lock wasn't always a nightmare. It wasn't always that bad. It would only happen later when it really got bad. Number two, the expedited cash-outs. A lot of the pros didn't realize they were getting expedited cash-outs. Number three, uh, the cash-out situation wasn't as bad as it appeared at first. A lot of people were exaggerating it just to, to drive lock poker prices down on 2 plus 2. And that uh, people were just doing this to take advantage and they were making it seem worse than it was. And number four, uh, lock probably didn't cover up the Jira thing. It was more of just a guy trying to cheat them. By the way, one interesting thing he did say, which I believe, is that they developed the whole contest in the first place expecting Jira to win. That I do believe. But anyway, when you add all I think these things up, we need up, to call Ford. We will call Ford. When you add all these things up, it all adds up to a pro who wants you to look at him and all the other pros as being innocent for how long they stayed. If you add all this up, it paints a picture that the pros had no idea this was coming. If you add all this up, it says the cash-out stuff wasn't actually as bad as it was said until later it really did get that bad. If you add all this up, it says that all the other problems that were being said about Locke back in 2011, 2012, well, those were either incorrect or being exaggerated, so they had no reason to leave. This is all BS. This is, a, this is setting up an excuse for later, for whoever this is, maybe just for all Locke poker pros as a whole. So... Bottom line is, you should have left a long time before you did, whoever you are. Let's try to call Rob Ford. I'm not, I know everyone's excited about this, but I'm not, <laughs> I'm not that excited because I don't think we're going to get through. Yeah, it's going to be a fail probably. By the way, uh, Team MLK says, snap this segment off. Give me a shout-out. So shout-out <laughs> to Team MLK. I'm sure he'll enjoy this since he's Canadian. We're calling him a, a, a mayor of Toronto. Is Team MLK in Toronto? I'm forgetting. I don't think he is. Where is he? I forget where he's from. I know he's in Canada somewhere, eastern Canada, but I don't know if it's Toronto or Montreal or Quebec. All right, so, uh, someone asking in the chat, instead of a Rob Ford call, can we please have an update on Lock Poker? <laughs> <laughs> All right, so let me get the phone number here. Now I'm having trouble finding the phone number. Let us see. Have it up in a second here, and then we will try to make the call. I'm really not optimistic we're going to reach him. With these types of calls, you're usually only successful when 
everybody hasn't been calling. But I have the number. 416-233-6934. So, Adam Shout Gisner. out to Rob Ford. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All righty. Here we go. It's almost 11 o'clock in Toronto. It's ringing. It's a good sign. I have a second number in case we don't get this. Uh-oh. Hi, you've reached Rob Ford, the mayor of Toronto. Oh, wow. I'm sorry, I'm unable to come to the phone right now. Please call <laughs> 416-397-3673. That's 416-397-3673. And if I'm unavailable, please ask for one of my assistants. They'd be more than happy to help you out. If you'd like to leave a message for me, please do so after the sound of the beat. Thank you. All righty. Well, we'll call that. I actually have another number. Now, he loves these numbers that end with 3673 because it spells Ford. So I have another one that's 751-3673. And he also gave us in this voicemail 397-3673. We're going to call them all here. This has potential. Definitely tell him you're on a radio. You're a radio host and... Maybe he'll talk to us. Yeah. <laughs> maybe, <laughs> maybe get the show on a map here. Okay. So let's see here. Try the 751 first. Put us on the map. I hate the new Skype. It just won't let me ask. You should ask, you should ask his opinion on the lock poker scandal. Yeah. Yes. yeah he'll, probably, <laughs> he'll probably say, oh, lock poker. I recommend everybody deposit there. Good, good <laughs> <Yeah>. site. <laughs> I don't understand... The Skype is just like not it's not letting me make the calls. I don't get it. Sounded like his voice too. I, I should stop upgrading Skype. Every time I upgrade Skype, it's such a failure. Try one more time. It's just not letting me add a phone call. It's ridiculous. No, I don't want to do that. That's going to blow out everybody's ears. Jeez. I don't know why it does this. Yeah, it's just like refusing me to add calls here. Hmm, so what should I do? Um, so, how about Vladimir Putin? <laughs> Wrestle any tigers? <laughs> <laughs> I, this is so frustrating. I'm just, try, I'm just trying to add... My, uh, it's, I'm trying to make the damn phone call here. Okay, I may have to put you guys on hold to get this done. Here we go. Here we go. Got it. So for some reason, this is costing me money, too. Like, Hi, this is Rob Ford, and thank you for calling my campaign office for re-election as Toronto's mayor. <laughs> no our team is available right now, but if you leave your name and number, so we'll get back to you as soon as possible. Thank you very much, and have a great day. That's not a beep. Is that a beep? There we go. Hey, uh, Rob Ford here. I'm, I'm here with a big crowd of people. Uh, hey, crowd, what do you think of Rob Ford's chances of getting re-elected? <laughs> Never going to happen. <laughs> All right. 
So let's let's try to <laughs> let's try let's try to call the last number here, the one he gave out at three nine seven. Three nine seven three six seven three. There we go. It's our last shot, it's the last number I have for him. Unless he gives us a fourth number. Who knows? Thank you for calling the office of the Mayor of Toronto, Rob Ford. Please leave your name, number, and message after the tone, and someone will get back to you shortly. Have a good day. Yeah, so I, I think this is actually just him kind of trolling the world, just trying to <laughs> get them to call these numbers and never reach him. He seems like the well, personality type that would do like that. sending him on chasing the never-ending string. Yeah, I, I, he should just like give out a different number on each voicemail, like, Hi, this is Rob Ford. Uh, if you're looking to reach me, my new number now is 416-278-3673. <laughs> and then you call that and you get another number and like, like see how long people keep calling number after number after number uh, before like finally giving up. Troll of all time. Yeah, he should do that. He, he should just like leave like a trail of like 100 numbers. That's good. And then have – and then like at the end, at the end of the trail, tell everyone they got owned. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he's like, "What? You think I'm gonna give my number out to like uh, millions of people to prank me all night? What do you think? An no, idiot?" Uh, at the end of the trail, leave a link to a, a Rick Roll video or something like that. <laughs> or at the end of the trail, leave a leave a message giving the first number out again. <laughs> yeah. So, so looks like we hit the end of the line here, and it was a good try, but I knew we weren't gonna get him. All right. So next topic. Oh, actually, I'm going to quickly close out about Locke. We mentioned this during the topic list of the show. Locke is currently offering a great deal if you wish to deposit there. We talked about the million dollars earlier. Not quite that good. But if you want to deposit a Locke, if you want to flush your money down the toilet, then you can currently get a $6,000 bonus. Believe it or not. That's it? $6,000. Where's the details on this one? Here we are. That don't sound much. This is called uh, Recollect. R-E-K-O-L-L-E-C-T. If you go to lockpoker.eu slash promo slash recollect with a K, there's a picture. I don't even know. It looks like it's a movie. I don't recognize who it is. Uh, Recollect. Rake Chase plus Bonus with this like futuristic scene. Now, if you remember, we dealt with somebody else on this site who used a K in place of a C. That was Project SEP. You saw how that turned out. This is Recollect, where you get up to $6,000 of bonus on just a $3,000 deposit. Very impressive. If only they paid out. So they just they just never give up. So okay, uh, moving along. I want to give some tips for the World Series. World Series is in two months. Starts on May twenty seventh. If you are considering going there, or you're on the fence, 
You should listen to this advice. I've played the World Series every year since May 2005. Or not May. Since uh, 2005. First time I played was in June. And I've played a lot of events now. And I can tell you that the advice that is being given here, some from me and some not from me, is good advice. So I'm going to read some of it here. Most of this came from a user named Jay Jammy, who finished second in a Limit Hold'em event recently. Here's the advice from Jay Jammy. It says, get a good night's sleep. Ten rounds of play is much more mentally exhausting than you can imagine. That's true. Ten rounds, these rounds are each an hour. You have a 20-minute break between each round, or each two rounds, actually. And there's also a dinner break, either 60 or 90 minutes, depending on the event. So playing ten rounds with all these breaks, it's a lot of time. And you get tired and get worn out. So if you only got like two hours of sleep the night before, you're going to find yourself mentally exhausted during the second half of the day, and you're not going to play well. So you should get a good night's sleep. You shouldn't play a lot of cash before the night before. You never want to be in a position to where you've lost more money playing cash than you will realistically win in the tournament. Uh, you want to get to a situation where you get a good night's sleep and where you don't have a lot on your mind from the night before. He wrote, eat a good breakfast. It is a long time until the dinner break. Now, I'll tell you, I don't do that because I always sleep until the last minute, so I don't eat a good breakfast. I'm just never hungry right when I wake up. But if you're one of those people who's used to eating breakfast, then yes, you should eat a good breakfast because the dinner break won't be until about 7 o'clock. Eat a light dinner. It will help you stay mentally alert during those last late-night rounds. That's true. A lot of people erroneously think that you need a big meal in order to give yourself energy to make it through the night. Wrong. When you eat a big, heavy meal, your body uses up energy to digest it. You also might end up with stomach problems if the meal was too heavy or doesn't agree with you. The best you can do for yourself is eat just enough to not be hungry, but not eat too much. And this way, your body will not use that much energy to digest it, and you're less likely to get stomach problems. In fact, um, back in 2005, when they completed all the events in two days, which were two really long, brutal days... When I went to the dinner break on the second day, and obviously it was very deep by that point, both times I ate almost nothing for dinner. I ate like soup, and that was it, because I did not want to upset my stomach, and I did not want to make myself tired. He also writes, walk around and get your blood flowing during the breaks. Use the time to mentally recharge, review your play, and develop strategy for the next two hours. So basically he's saying it's better to just spend time by yourself rather than socialize with everybody. Obviously, go to the bathroom if you have to. But um, walk around and, and just think about how the last two hours went. If you're on tilt a little bit, calm yourself down. I've had that before where I, I go to the break feeling really frustrated, and I feel like I'm happy the break is here so I can let some time pass and I can calm down. And also, you know, you can spend some time to think about the people at your table and what you're going to do when you come back. It's good advice. Be aware of how the tables are breaking. You can't set up any long game strategies against your opponents if your table will be broken soon. You will see it on the screen. This is, this is me talking now, not, not the post. You'll see on the screen up there the break order, the tournament screen. It'll scroll at the bottom, breaking order, you know, orange high to low, green high to low. That means like, if it's orange high to low, that means the highest orange table will break first. 
all the way down to the lowest orange table, and then they'll move to the next color. So see if your table is one of the ones that is going to break soon. And if it is, then don't bother trying to establish a certain table image because it's going to break soon anyway. Don't waste chips running bluffs so people will take you more seriously later or vice versa. Um, so, you know, like, you don't want to do these long-term plays if the table's going to be breaking in 15 minutes. Uh, also, if your table is a lousy table, you may want to just bide your time at the lousy table knowing you'll probably get moved somewhere better. Consider playing a warm-up tournament. Now, this is where he writes something a little bit weird. I know Druff hates Lockman, but the deep stack events at the Venetian give you a lot of chips and are a great value. They are much better than the daily tournaments at the Rio. Now, you, do you guys have any idea who Lockman is? Anybody? Uh-oh, my co-hosts are both silent. What's going on here? What is going yeah, on? Yeah, my mic's messing up. I hear you. <laughs> I forgot my mic was... You there? <laughs> oh, so, so both of you, oh, both of you were... Okay, that's, that's great. So, so, I hear you. My okay, mic's so, messing so up. So who, who is Lockman? Do you have any idea who Lockman is? I have no idea. Yeah, I, I thought maybe he meant uh, Son of Lockman, who... That's uh, what I thought, too, uh, But I'm like, I, I don't hate Sonny. I mean, I know a lot of people here don't like him, but I don't hate Sonny. Like, what does this have to do with Sonny? Well, it's not Lockman. It's actually uh, Adelman. Or, sorry, uh, 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 yeah, Sheldon Adelson. And uh, so he meant uh, that's what he's meant by Lockman. So, and then he says, "I meant Sheldon Adel- Anderson." He still got it wrong, but it's a, he gave good <laughs> advice here. But look, um, he's saying the Venetian structure is better than the Rio structure, and that's true. But I will warn you about this: there's nothing more frustrating than playing a very long, low buy-in tournament if you're a higher buy-in player. So if you are playing the World Series events, typically, you don't want to go to the Venetian and enter a $300 event and have it take like two days and have you min-cash. Like, it's just like a not a good use of your time if you have to get one of the top few spots to have it be worth your time. So I'll say this. If you can barely afford these 1500 events or if the 1500 events seem kind of like high to you, then definitely play these Venetian events, even though you're supporting Lockman. But uh, otherwise, I wouldn't bother with them because it's just uh, it's not worth your time, in my opinion. I, I just don't. I remember I did that one time. I played like a a deep stacked 500 buy-in event, and I just felt like killing myself because it took so long. And then like I barely cashed like 500 something dollars, and I was so frustrated how long how long of a time I spent on it. So. Um, yeah. We all can't be rich like you, Druff. No, I know. I know. I'm not. I'm not putting down people who, who can't, who really, you know, can't afford that many big buy-in events. I'm saying if you are, if you're one of the people who plays a lot of oh, yeah. big buy-in yeah. events or, or medium buy-in events, don't play these deep stacks because it's going to be a waste of your time. Uh, oh, yeah, for sure. For uh, sure. Then he writes, play the highest buy-in event you can afford. The higher the buy-in, the more starting chips, the more time to make plays before you're short stacked. The $1,500 events don't give you as much play as you think. Well, this is the one thing I disagree with. Um, I think you should play the 1,500 events and not play the 1,000 events for that reason. But once you get to 2,500 and above, the skill level goes way, way up, especially at the no limits. So the quality of player you will face at the 2,500 and up events is much, much tougher than at the 1,500 events. 
So don't just play the 2500 because it gives you more chips because everyone gets more chips, not just you. And if everybody's good, you're not getting an edge by having more chips. Then he says, be friendly and be courteous at the table. Never give away free information. You will f- encounter many friendly opponents who will try to engage you in conversation. Do not fall for this ploy. The less your opponents know about you, the better. Well, sort of. Now, here's my take on this. <laughs> Definitely don't ever give out free advice or free information about the way you play or anything that will let someone better understand how to play you. Um, don't ever make comments about, um, you know, you don't bluff that much or or you, know, you don't play as crazy as this guy or you don't play as loose as this guy. Don't ever say things like that because it's just going to give away information about you. At the same time, you do want to make conversation because others will give information to you without you even asking. And I know this because this has happened to me time after time after time. I'm sitting with some recreational player and we just make conversation. And he'll just start volunteering things to me that help me play against him. He'll say something like, oh man, did you see that guy? He raised Jack-10 under the gun. I'd never play Jack-10 off under the gun. Never. I'm like, okay. (laughs) I'll know what he doesn't have next time when he raises under the gun, you know, and and the board comes where Jack-10 would be helped. Um, Or he'll say, you know, if if I'm shoving, I really have it. I, I don't ever bluff like that. Like, you'd think this is a good way to trick people, but it isn't. They're never lying when they tell you this. They're never lying. They're, these recreational players, and they tell you they don't bluff, they really don't. So you say, okay, don't bluff. <laughs> you know, you're like, okay, if, if this guy is putting a lot of action in, I better fold my hand unless I'm really strong. Uh, they'll also say things like, I'm not going to call this early pre-flop and all in unless I have aces. Well, all right. Now you know that too. Now you know he's easy to run off hands pre-flop. These people will, will give you the information just because you're being friendly with them. They'll make conversation about others' play and make it very clear how they play. Also, they will tend to bluff you less because they think they've made some kind of connection with you. So they almost feel like it's going to offend you if they bluff you. So that's another good reason to... I've been guilty of that, actually. (laughs) (laughs) You know, years ago when I first started playing, I, I used to never mess around with the people who were nice at the table. Yeah, yeah. So, so I mean, and in fact, so now someone might say this is dishonest. You know, trying to act friendly to someone so they give you information. You're not tricking them. You're not. They're volunteering this stuff to you, and you're just listening. That doesn't mean you have to tell them the same. Um, furthermore, you know, if if they don't want to bluff you because you're being friendly and you're bluffing them, that's fine too. There's no rule you can't bluff if they don't bluff you. Uh, that's their own fault for soft playing you when they shouldn't be. Um, I have close friends of mine that will sometimes be at the same table as me. We play each other like, you know, like we want to knock each other out of the tournament. You know, we, we don't soft play each other. We just, we play our hands and uh, try to beat each other and it's understood. Uh, so, uh-oh, what's going on here? What's going on? He's wrestling. Uh-oh. He's, I think he's having a problem in the bathroom. No, I, I, it's going in and out. This mic sucks. Truth be told, it's just ghetto, like, old uh, headset <laughs> okay, and microphone. Well, so, sorry. Okay. okay. So, I, derail. I was interested in what you're saying. Yeah, no, but so, you, ex- you should expect that in getting, when you involve yourself with poker, that sort of a function of the game, all those things, you know? Yeah, so, so what I'm saying is there will be a, for information and There will be a lot of information given to you if you just talk to people and don't give up anything yourself 
and you'll get a big edge. And you know, sometimes one of these guys who's like show, sometimes they even have to show like they'll show me their hands because one of the things I love to do, not just to get people to show me their hands, but also just to not make myself as easy to read. Um, let's say I've been bluffing, and then someone check raises me, and of course I know I'm throwing my hand away immediately. But what am I going to do there? I'm not going to throw away immediately. What I actually do is I'll sit there and I'll look kind of pissed off and frustrated and then throw it away and look annoyed. I, like I never curse anyone. I never get rude to anyone. But I look like annoyed with myself. I look like, oh, I don't want to throw this away. Oh, but I have to. Oh, boy, he's throwing me this hand. That's the look I try to give. And I throw it away. Well, when I do that, the people I've been getting along with tend to show me what hand they had so I don't feel so bad. And again, I'm not asking them, show me your hand. I, they're, they're doing it you know, to be nice, which is great. But when you're at a poker tournament, especially a big one like the World Series, uh, you shouldn't be a jerk and you shouldn't cheat and you shouldn't angle shoot. But you also should not do favors for anyone. And um, if they do it for you, great. Then that's their mistake. And uh, so when I've done that, when I've acted pained while unfolding, they'll show me their hands. Now, of course, once they've shown me their hands, I'm like, well, okay. Next time I really have something and they fold to me, I'm going to show them. I'm never going to show them I'm bluffing. But, uh, you know, when I've got top set and they fold, then I'll, I'll flash them top set and they'll feel good. And that's, you know, that's keeping the whole thing going. So it's, it's little things like this you can do that, that are completely fine within the parameters of the game. And they're not angle shooting and you're not trying to trick anyone. Um, you, you, it's not like you're saying I'm never going to bluff you and then you bluff them. That's, that's dirty. But I've never told anyone that. I never say, no, I'm not going to bluff you. Like, I, I never imply I'm never going to bluff you. Like, I, I don't say that because it's not true, and I don't want to say things to people and lie to them. But um, anyway, just with the recreational players there, um, if you get along with them, they'll give you a lot of information. Uh, here's, let's go on with what uh, Jay Jammy says to do at the World Series. You consider that angle shooting? Saying what? to somebody, no, I'm never going to bluff you when you fully intend on bluffing them? Yeah, I think it is. If you if you say you're not, I mean, you shouldn't be saying that anyway because it's like collusion. But if, you know, like either way you're lying. You're right, colluding. in a World Series event. Yeah. But just for like the average person out there. Like, I mean, I, I don't think. It's bad form in general. I don't think it's don't good think to do it. I don't think there's nothing wrong with it. Well, I, I mean, you can, but I, I don't do I just I don't like to lie to people. Like, like I don't like to say I'm not going to do this and then do it. But at the same time, I don't. I don't <laughs> at the same time, I don't mind showing a real hand, and then um, having them think, okay, well, you know, he's betting with his real hands. But this way, I'm not so promising them. What about, them what about all those times you were at the table and you said, uh, "I'm going to win this tournament"? Oh, I never say means... that. <laughs> <laughs> I've actually always uh, like. I never try to come off as like arrogant or confident at the table. And the truth is, like, I I never feel like I'm going to win. I always like. I'm always on edge, like, I really hope nothing bad happens here so I can win. Like, uh-oh. 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 Is Garrett blowing up? Something's happening. The people listening here in the archive, yeah, okay, we had to drop this. I, I'm very big on sound quality here. Garrett, I'm, I thank you for being part of the show, but um, there's been too Sayonara, many... Sayonara, Garrett. There's been too many microphone faux pas in this, uh, in this broadcast, and... I don't want to blow out the listeners' ears. I'm very, very big on sound quality, and I, I've kind of allowed it this this far, hoping it would get better, but it's just getting worse. So, not only that, he makes me paranoid because I have this new equipment, and I'm like, oh crap, is my equipment acting up? <laughs> so, all right. So, uh, he wrote, 
don't be afraid of being the bubble boy, except possibly the main event. Your goal should be to get to the final table, not just cash. If you go into a shell when you are close to the money, your opponents will notice and take advantage of your timid play. Very true. Um, one of the events I got almost to the final table, 10th place at the Mixed Hold'em, an event they did away with last year. Still don't have again this year. But I, an event I liked. It's a half hold, half limit hold'em, half no limit hold'em. I got 10th place in that event when I looked to be the bubble boy. I was the shortest stack on the bubble. And I went all in several times. One time got lucky. Other times didn't get called. And other times had a legitimately good hand in one. And got myself back into contention and finished 10th. Um, they actually reported on me on Pocket Fives at the time. Pocket Fives was actually doing like active reporting of the tournaments. Uh, they actually were reporting how brave I looked on the bubble, like I didn't care. And they even asked me, someone there asked me, like, um, uh, does it not matter to you that's the bubble? And I said, yeah, I'm not playing for the bin cashier. And I can't say I was always this brave on the bubble. Sometimes I still fall into the trap of, oh, I've got a cash here. Sometimes I even fall into the trap of, like, I have to, I have to cash here because I don't want to have no caches this World Series. But uh, that's actually wrong. You really should never be afraid of being on the bubble. One time I wasn't afraid of being on the bubble was at the 5K limit event in 2012, and I lost four straight hands to be the stoned bubble boy. Not stoned bubble boy, the stoned bubble boy. <laughs> I probably felt like I wanted to be the stoned bubble boy after that happened. I, had, I lost four straight hands when I could have just played nothing and guaranteed myself an $11,000 cash. Instead, I played all those hands and lost them all. And was the bubble boy in 19th place. I advantaged it somewhat last year, finishing 5th in the same event. But uh, yeah, don't be afraid of being the bubble boy. You're trying for the final table. And he was saying, interestingly enough, except possibly the main event. He doesn't explain why, but I believe what he's trying to say is that the main event structure, because there's so many players, that it's so long between a main a, a min cash and where the caches go up significantly, that there's so many places and so many people in between that, and, and since the cash is actually a substantial sum of money, like you know 20-something thousand, that it might be worth it to not be the bubble boy there just because um, it's a substantial sum of money and because um, if you cash, if you do you know, make it there, the chance of getting all the way to the final table isn't that high anyway. Like you, it's it's a long way from there to making big money, so I, I kind of agree with that. I kind of agree with the main event, unless you have a whole lot of money. Why it would make sense to play cautiously on the bubble, not too cautiously, but to where you don't want to be the bubble boy there because there's just so many places after that that are just going to be um, around the same money. So. I, I do agree. And also, if you notice others who are very, very scared of the bubble, take advantage of it. And I've done that before. You know, Shane, Shane Schlager's been in the news recently because of his article about the crack, of the crack he smokes. There was actually a report, I think, on Card Player or Poker News a number of years ago where me and Shane were at the same table just as the bubble was approaching and that only me and him were the ones playing hands, that everybody else was afraid. 
And it was true. <laughs> like we were just stealing and stealing from the table. I'm like, okay, once Shane folds, I know I can just keep raising and steal from everyone. It's it's very bad at the World Series. I mean, because it, it seems like every player just has like, oh, I want to cash at the World Series, you know, yeah. like any of the events. So like as soon as you're on the bubble of any of the events, it's like, you know, it's just a gravy train for like, I don't know, as much as an hour sometimes waiting for the bubble to go. Well, it is. For, yes, yes. And then they go hand for hand and it's so slow. <laughs> yeah, and, and it like, takes so long. It's so frustrating. Yeah. And then and then um, I'll tell you, once the bubble bursts, then it's amazing how quickly everyone ships it in. <laughs> yeah, it immediately loses like 200 players. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, it's amazing how just like at breakneck speed, everyone falls off. So, uh, but yeah, don't be afraid of being the bubble boy. And but that's he, how I was too when I was, you know, my first – World Series tournament, you know, I was like freaking out when we were getting even, and this was just a circuit event. I was freaking out when we were getting close to the bubble just because I was like, ooh, I want to cash. You yeah, know? It's, it's hard not to. It's really hard when you yeah. played all that time and you're at the World mm-hmm. Series. It's really hard to just say, all right, yeah. I don't care about cash. It's hard to say. It really is hard. It's still hard for me. And, uh, you know, I will admit I feel some kind of relief when I cash, especially when it's my first cash of the year. Every year I'm paranoid this is going to be the year I don't cash at all. And every year I've cashed at least once, but every year I'm, I'm worried, like, what if I just brick it and go zero? And this year, I think it's the highest chance I'm going to brick it and go zero because I'm playing the fewest events this year. And last year, I think I only played like eight or nine events. And I was worried I was going to brick it and go zero. So it always feels good, like at the beginning, if I get one out of the way where I cash. But I, I really got to get my mindset out of that and not worry about it because, you know, so, so I've cashed every year at least once. Big deal. Like, so what if I don't cash this year? Then I've cashed what nine out of ten years. Great, yeah. you know, like like who's going to yeah. care? Who's going to care? So um, he writes. Most importantly, never ever give up. I can't tell you how many people donk off their short stacks at the end of the night because they'd rather quote start over in another event the following day. In most cases, you're only a couple of hands away from getting right back into the tournament, particularly in no limit. Good luck. So he's right. Um, you should never just give up and just shove it in, even if it's the end of the day, even if it's before the dinner break. Don't ever give up. Wait for the best moment to put your chips in. So, for example, uh, if you've got Jack-6 offsuit and it's the final hand before dinner and you've got a short stack and a tight or moderately tight player raises from early position, don't throw your money in with Jack-6 off. You know you're going to be crushed. Yeah, you can luck into it, but... You know you're going to be crushed. You know there's only a small chance that you're not going to bust there. So don't throw your money away like that. You, you should get your money in what you think is the best spot. Now, sometimes you'll think it's the best spot. Sometimes it'll go fold, 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 and you'll be on the cutoff with jack eight. You'll ship it in with your short stack, and the small blind will have aces. Okay. You know, that's, uh, that's the way it goes. But um, just always make sure when you get your money in that you're proud of the spot you got it in, even if you don't win. So uh, then... I also have a few other suggestions of my own. Register the night before the event. Do not show up the day of to register, or you will be in a line. I'm talking about for the big events, but also for some of the small events, because the lines are for all the events together, not just the one you're playing. But if you show up the day of the event, you will stand in a line. There will be anywhere from 30 to 360 minutes, that's six hours, yes, to register. Like the Millionaire Maker event, don't even think of showing up on that same day and registering. Don't even think of it. Get the registration done the night before, even if you have to go down there at 3 in the morning and do it. But do it. Get your ticket the night before. You will see the gigantic line as you walk in 
to play that day, and you will thank me for giving you that advice. Uh, also, people bluff much, much less at the World Series than they do online. If you're used to calling down people light online, and you're doing well because of your calling down light, do not do the same at the World Series, you're going to get crushed. You don't know how many, quote, good online tournament players I've seen shooting off massive stacks by calling a ton of chips off pre-flop with things like ace-queen or pocket eights or hands you really should be folding when you get re-raised uh, or, or you know, re- they're shoved on something big. I, I see people who just never believe whoever's raising them because they're so used to the online spew fests. You know, I haven't played a ton of tournaments live, uh, especially at the World Series, but I, I could definitely tell you I have played before, and that is probably the best advice that you can give somebody yeah. of just, you know, people, they, they don't bluff at the World Series, not nearly as much. Yeah, there's much less bluffing, especially the players who you think wouldn't bluff you, like the middle-aged uh, recreational players. And you'll see it occasionally. You'll occasionally see a really weird thing that'll shock you. Like one time there's like this tight older guy at the main event a few years ago. Uh, Fortunately for me, I like flopped a set, so there's no way I was going anywhere. But he went all in on me. So much that I'm like, oh crap, he flopped the higher set. And I called and I was ready to be pissed off and he just showed me absolutely nothing. And I couldn't believe it. But, But like that's the exception, not the rule. In general, when they are representing the World Series, especially if it's someone who's not like a a young online looking kid, when they're representing the World Series, they usually really have it. So I'm not saying let yourself get pushed around or run off hands, but um, don't call off a ton of chips believing everyone's bluffing you. They're probably not. Um, Part of this is just that a lot of people come a long way for the World Series or this is the only event they're playing or it's a big deal to them to make sure to get their money in good and they they just don't want to shoot off all their chips on a bluff. They just don't want to do it. They just can't bring themselves to do it. And, uh, and also, uh, the corollary to this is don't try to overbluff others because another mistake a lot of the recreational players have, and even some people who are known to be better, is that uh, they don't want to lay down hands. I kind of got a second life in the main event in 2013 when I was getting semi-short stacked. I flopped a set of deuces on like a jack-six-deuce board, and a guy got all his money with ace-jack. And... Um, I was not super short stacked. When I say semi-short, I mean like I was below average. But we had plenty of chips to play with, and there's no reason Ace-Jack should have let me double up off him. But in the flop, you know, he bet I raised, he shoved all in. So I called, and I said, all right, I hope I don't see a higher set. Nope, Ace-Jack. He was drawing dead pretty much. So um, don't try to run people off top pair there, because you'll, you'll do it sometimes, but a lot of other times they'll call you down with... They really shouldn't, but they do. So, so be careful about that too. Um, don't assume they're bluffing you, and don't try to bluff them too much. If if you think they have something, if you don't think they have something, then you know by all means. Um. So that those those are some pieces of advice for the World Series of Poker, and I I think it's all valuable, and I think if you follow all this, you'll do better. So let's. Uh... So I think me in the chat decided that I'm going to have a World Series of Poker uh, buy a piece this year. Oh, really? Yeah, I All won't right. go, but I'm going to have one anyways. 
I got to pay my bills. So. Oh, yeah. You're going to pull a chase up. You're going to have a. Uh, yeah, I got to pay some bills. You're going to have a buy a piece and then, and then it's going to show up. Hosted, you know, I've got uh, all the qualifications needed. You yeah, know? that's true. So I think I'm good to go. <laughs> well, you know, uh, you can still qualify for Rookie of the Year 2014. You know, Claw, right now, he's the leader right now, scamming everyone in January. But, you know, the, the year is still young. And uh, maybe you can get a good scam. And as you said, oh, yeah. uh, I've already donated to the free roll. Yeah, I mean, come on. Yeah, you've I'm, donated I'm to the free roll. I'm up there slowly you, but surely. You've hosted radio. Yeah, you've got all the qualifications to run a scam at this point. Absolutely. Uh, all right. So, I, I've, I've learned to dislike Garrett. So I've got that going for me. <laughs> all right. So I, I definitely dislike his microphone. So uh, yeah. I want to give a tribute here to someone who has a, a very special birthday today. Drum roll, please. Ken Scaler, who appeared on this show last week, has appeared on many of our shows and even some of the shows that I used to host on other sites, always providing entertainment, entertaining moments and stories for us here on Poker Fraud Alert Radio. He is 44 years young today. I love this here, the instrumental bir- uh, birthday music. So, uh... Ken Scaler, 44 years young. Hey, look. He may not be the success that he once hoped he would be when he got a master's degree in political science. He might be giving plasma every week for 30 bucks a pop and uh, might be working a pseudo-minimum wage job with criminals. But, uh, you know, I'll, I'll be honest here. I actually do care a lot about Ken Scaler. When, when people take advantage of him or do bad things to him, I actually get mad. He's, he's really like a brother to me. And uh, Ben, Benjamin, my son, knows him. In fact, Ben likes to see him and talk to him. So, uh, happy birthday to Ken. I would say I hope it's a good year for him, but uh, I think a better wish for Ken is I just hope it's not a bad year for him. And I will give Ken props. Ken Scaler did manage to get a hand job recently. Yes, he did. No, don't laugh. Don't, he really did. He might be getting one right now, for all we know, for his birthday. Now, it's true the girl wasn't all that attractive, but she was under 30, and she gave him a hand job, and she was a real female. That's all that matters. So, happy birthday, Ken, and uh, we'll hear you many times on this show in the future. Maybe even tonight. You know, uh, I, I, he might be with his mother now. I know his mother wanted to go to dinner with him, but then he wasn't sure if he wanted to. So he wasn't sure if he was going to call her back. He's he's always had a kind of a strained relationship with his mother. So. I don't know. You know what? Screw it. I'm just going to call Stephanie right now and see if uh, see if we can find him. He might be. He was with her last night. Why not? Let's see. Let's see if we can reach Stephanie. <coughs> might as well. Might as well add some levity to this show. Hello. Are you with Master Scaler right now? No. Is he with his mom tonight? No. So what's he doing for his birthday? Nothing. Nothing? Well, he's got to be doing something. Like, where is he? He's doing nothing. How can you know he's doing nothing if you're not with him? Because he said he's going to go home and go to bed. Wow. That's not a very happy birthday. Well, okay. Uh, No. when, When did you last see him? This afternoon? Yesterday. Yesterday. Well, 
Alrighty. Mm-hmm. Uh, thanks All for right, the information. Bye. bye. That was Stephanie. I believe her. I believe he's not with her. And uh, now I don't know if if he left that yesterday and said he's climatic. Yeah. If he, well, if he said he's going to bed last night, I mean that doesn't mean he's in bed now. It's kind of strange, but I have a feeling he's doing something. I guess I'll find out later what it is. So it is Ken Scaler's birthday, March twenty fifth, nineteen seventy. He was born. Interestingly enough, his mother was forty years old when he was born. So. And his father was like 43. And what's, I think what's more interesting is, is his father, because I've read in uh, recent studies that if you are over 40 and you're a male and have a child, that the chance of your child having psychological or emotional problems is like five times higher, which is just like a recent study. That actually explains a lot. Yeah, so I, I wonder if that's what happened to Ken, if it's because his dad was 43. Now, fortunately, I was under 40, not by that much, when Benjamin was born. I was 38 and a half, so hopefully uh, he dodged that. I don't see any signs of emotional problems yet from him. but uh, I think you're in good shape, Drove. I, I think I am. I think by now some would have presented themselves. He is like three and a half now. So let's move on to the subject of Dewey Tomko. And Bill Byers, this is really interesting. Um, Dewey Tomko, who is a member of the Poker Hall of Fame, and uh, another pro poker player named Bill Byers, they published an op-ed to the press of Atlantic City. And they were saying in this op-ed that the sites in Nevada, New Jersey, and Delaware are not secure and that there needs to be further security testing of these sites. And they're saying that the following might be occurring due to security links on all of the existing legalized online poker sites. These would be hacking, collusion, and even terrorists funneling funds to get money into the country to hurt Americans. So they were calling for a lot more security analysis of these sites, saying that what has been done so far is not sufficient. But why are they doing this? Why are Dewey Tomko and Bill Byers so interested in this subject? You haven't really heard from them before about this sort of thing. Well, here's why they're calling for it. Realistic tests of the Nevada, Delaware, and New Jersey online poker regulations should be conducted. But David Rebuck, director of the New Jersey Division of Gaming Enforcement, did not even respond to a letter we sent offering to stress test New Jersey's real money poker websites. (laughs) So basically... uh, They want everyone to know that the sites are not secure, and they want them to know that because they got turned down or or ignored for a job testing these sites. They said, hey, pay us to test these sites. The uh, director of gaming enforcement in New Jersey received that letter, and his response was... (laughs) And uh, now they're mad. 
and now they want everyone to know how insecure these sites are. So maybe the director of gaming enforcement in New Jersey will reconsider. Now, in case you want to see what they want to do, go to undetectablelaundering.com. That's undetectablelaundering.com, exactly as it sounds. No dashes or anything, just undetectablelaundering.com. If you go to the site, it says, for research only. This is their website, by the way, uh, Tom Cohen Byers. Undetectable money laundering with Internet poker. The information presented on this website is intended only for policymakers, law enforcement, and gambling regulators. I guess I better close it then. Nah, I'll, li- I'll live dangerously. Visitors are reminded that money laundering is always illegal, regardless of the mechanism employed. Do not use to create or implement systems that could be used for internet poker, money laundering, or cheating. So they're telling you, look, we're going to give you all the secrets here, but you better not do something bad with it. But let's read on. I'm going to I'm going to take a chance. I'm pulling it up right now. Uh, I, I can't wait to see yeah, this. I'm going to take a chance here and uh, educate everybody. On this, uh, <laughs> on money laundering in internet poker. So uh, this show, this show may be used as evidence one day that I've uh, aided wow. and abetted criminals. Our, our audience of a thousand plus people <laughs> that I've just uh, taught them how to money launder. But I'll, I'll just blame it on Dewey Tomko. Uh, so here's here's some of the things: cheating, money laundering, and hiding how it's done. Uh, four mo- four money launderers using 128. Different money mule accounts to move $50,000 revised January 31st, 2014. So let's click on that one. You can click on each of these. You get like a paper. So this, this opens up a, uh, a PDF file showing uh, an example of four money launderers using 128 different accounts to move 50K. So it says, criminals, terrorists, and other bad actors seek to create money laundering methods that are hidden inside black boxes. The ideal black box would ensure that law enforcement remains unable to trace money flows within the box, even if one end of the money pipeline is compromised. With any method of laundering money, the objective of law enforcement is to learn what is inside the black box. Let's open up the black box and find out. Then then it has an arrow to it. At least $50,000 is cashed out, taxes are paid, and the money is clean. Now, I I don't even understand this. Like, what, what did they just reveal here? Like it's somehow what I just read leads to an arrow that says at least fifty thousand dollars is is cashed out, okay? So, so this is amazing. So then you this scroll down and it, it it shows four money launderers using one hundred twenty eight different money mule accounts to move fifty thousand dollars. Money is injected into the internet liquidity pool. Low stakes tables. Most mule accounts are played as losing fish. The illustration above shows how dirty money is injected into the money laundering process. From the first game of poker, dirty money is split apart and distributed across compromised money mule accounts as well as innocent bystander accounts. And then again, an arrow. At least $50,000 is cashed out, taxes are paid, and the money is clean. <laughs> did, you go, did you see the uh, uh, single-hand example where they money moved and profit made? Uh, they, they no, where, where's like that, where's that one? Can, they they show a they show a table like a okay so let's see here there's there's let's they show Wait, is this four the, different is this, examples. Hold on, is this the same PDF file I'm reading or something else? I, I'm not sure. No, it's not a PDF file. It's like a graphics, like a graphics with player whole cards and a table. Oh, and it must uh, have come from example a, two. Example two. Oh, I see. Okay, single hand. Just, uh, let's see. So scroll down and it shows a table and it shows where the dealer is, right? And 
they're showing how like someone can raise and then this guy loses and like so they're basically demonstrating that you can play poker and win money. <laughs> it just makes no sense. It's so weird. Let's let's see here. This is uh, here, here's here's example one. Um, three of four colluders in successful money transfer. So here's the colluder screen names. I, I like the screen names in this too. We have Crackhead thirty three. That must be that must be Rob Ford playing at the table. <laughs> right? Weed it could man forty three. Right, you know what? It, it could actually be Shane Schlager. Actually, he could be either of those accounts. So Weedman forty three or a Crackhead thirty three. Uh, then we have. Uh, uh, let's see. Magic Mushroom Yeah, Magic 82. Mushroom 82 and, and Angel Duster 99. So I guess not only oh, are that, these colluders, they're also drug addicts. The, the Angel Duster's me, so. <laughs> okay, so, so, so it starts, they all have $10,000 in starting bankroll. Um, and then ending bankroll shows what they have. And then um, it shows that uh, with Angel Duster winning the money from all of them, uh, $300, a whopping $300 has been uh, achieved here. So uh, this whole elaborate scheme has netted three hundred bucks. Where so uh, there's forty thousand on the table at one hundred, two hundred, and they're yeah. showing an example where you can make yeah, you can make three hundred dollars. That's very <laughs> that's very useful. That's a, I'm really worried about that. That Osama's uh, successor there is going to get three hundred bucks into the country for terrorism. But but now look at this. It says not only did the colluding team successfully move significant sums of money from Crackhead thirty three and Weedman forty three to Angel Duster ninety nine. <laughs> They did so while simultaneously making a profit for $300 for the money laundering network. <laughs> well, you know, what I like here, what, what I like here is that uh, they not only are showing these colluders, but they have to give them these uh, nicknames, these drug-related nicknames to make them seem even more villainous. Yeah. Like it can't just be like John 1 and Mike 2 and Steve 3. It has to be like, you know, Crackhead 33 and Magic Mushroom 82. Yeah, and they're, and they're laundering money. And they're good at poker. Yeah. So, <laughs> so, uh, so don't whammy, you know? Anyway, uh, if you go through this site, this, uh, this, the undetectable laundering.com, uh, there's all kinds of scare tactics on there about all the different problems in online poker, most related, related to, uh, money laundering. And you're supposed to, be impressed by this and pressure the gaming regulators to hire these two guys. So um, it, it would actually be more credible if these two were not trying to get a job and if they weren't bitter that they didn't get the job. It, it, the worst part is that they actually tried to get it, didn't get it, and now they're writing the op-ed saying, hey, your sites are unsecure. Um this, to me, looks more like sour grapes, and it looks like trying to use public fear into getting a job, and uh, much less like someone who's really concerned about the security in these sites. Now, the funny thing is they actually are raising some points that are legitimate. Uh, I do believe that money laundering could probably do be done through these sites. I do believe that uh, collusion and cheating could be done. And it's possible that the security in place on these sites may not be that great because we've seen plenty of examples of incompetence in other areas on these sites thus far. But uh, that doesn't mean that two guys who write, who you know, try to push themselves for the job should then be publicly complaining that they didn't get the job and demanding they get hired. That's, uh, 
you really only have credibility when you're pointing this out out of the goodness of your heart with nothing to gain from it. Or if they were smarter, they would have not revealed that they had asked for a job with this and just pointed it out and then hoped that maybe someone would hire them and say, oh, well, you guys seem to know a lot about this. Why don't you come uh, test our security? But uh, at this point, they have no credibility, and this is clearly an attempt to get money, clearly an attempt to scare the public about these sites. Now, I don't think right now there's any kind of major money laundering or even minor money laundering going on on these sites simply because uh, they're not active enough. there's not enough high-stakes games running. It's pretty well known, you know, who the big high-stakes players are. If someone just kind of came out of the blue and dumped a lot of money, it would be seen and there would be discussion of it. I'm not saying it can't happen or won't ever happen, but so far they're not active enough to where it's uh, really that much of a concern. Now, if legalized online poker becomes more widespread, such as California or many other states or eventually federally legal, then yes, there's going to have to be more attention paid to money laundering, to terrorists sneaking money in the country, and to cheating and collusion. And these are real concerns to have, but um, the concern should not be voiced by those trying to make money from the concerns through public fear. So, I thought that was kind of amusing. If you go through the site, it's really funny. This uh, it is very very funny. <laughs> it's like it's trying. <laughs> they're trying to be professional here, but they're not. Like you don't. If you're trying to be professional, you don't give examples of Crackhead Thirty Three and Weed Man Forty Three <laughs> or Angel Duster Ninety Nine. Like you, you don't do that. You, I don't know if they're trying to be funny here, trying to create villains. I don't even understand what they're trying to do with those names. What's the goal? I was laughing so hard that I had to mute my mic. So, (laughs) (laughs) like it just uh, you just think, wow, these are not the people we want security testing our site. Yeah, you know they they don't seem very mature to me doing things like that. So you know you got to put out a professional front when you're putting these examples forward, and you also have to watch out that you're not fear mongering and that you're not exaggerating, because then you just look like a crackpot. You've got to just be honest about the actual vulnerabilities and lay them out and have an intelligent person look and say, okay, you're right. There are some problems. We need to beef up our security. Like, that's fine. But they're, they're overdoing it here. If you look at the site, it's totally overdoing it. So, move on. So, we got a, we got a question in the chat, Druff. Yeah. Do you think it's a good or a bad idea to masturbate before a World Series day? That's, That's a, a good, good question. question. That is a good question. I would say it is a good idea. Um, well, it's, uh, let me give an asterisk to that. <laughs> okay? If you didn't get enough sleep, as Jay Jammy proposed, if you did not get enough sleep, let's say you only got four hours of sleep, then I would say do not masturbate because masturbating takes energy. I'm sure there's many times, and I'm talking to all of you guys out there, I'm sure there's many times that you have masturbated and then just kind of like <clears throat> felt like, Lying down, falling asleep, especially if you're doing it in bed. Like, like it's something that kind of makes you tired and wears you out. And that's the last thing you want to do right before the World Series. However, if you got enough sleep, I think it's a good thing to do because it will prevent you from uh, being as sexually frustrated and from being distracted by any pretty girls that might be walking by. And while there are not that many pretty female poker players, there are plenty of pretty girls walking by the World Series who are the girlfriends of various poker players or 
girls who were working there in some capacity that uh, got hired because they were pretty? I think regardless, it's a great idea. Really? Yeah, there's never – it's always a great idea to masturbate. No, I, I don't know. I, <laughs> I, I wouldn't – I'm telling you, I wouldn't do it before a World Series event if I was tired. But if I wasn't tired, I would say yes. I would say it's a good idea. So It's about time to eat dinner. Go masturbate first. Yeah. Got to go to the bathroom. Masturbate first. No, I, I, I've done it before World Series <laughs> events. Not not every single event, but I have done it before certain events. I will say that I haven't done it like when I make a, a day two or day three where I'm looking very good to get really deep. Because like I'm I'm just so my mind is so much on that I can't even think of sex. But uh, aside from that, especially the day ones, I have to say it's probably a good idea. Good good question from the chat. Who asked that? Um, own Madison. Own Madison. Is that all right? Well, that's a good question. You want to hear this discussed on two plus two? I guarantee you that. <laughs> Guaranteed <laughs> not. <laughs> this other guy says, "What if you're a girl?" But I, they can do that too. How you answer that though, because I mean, yeah, I don't know how it feels to be a girl. A girl. So yeah, know, you know? yeah, but I, they can too. But yeah, I, I, I we need a girl to answer that one because we are not girls and we don't know what it feels like to be a girl. So, um. Moving on to the next topic, also about the legalized online poker front. And oh, sound problems here. Here we go. I think we're better. <laughs> I feel like Garrett now. Andy Abood was debating, not master debating, but debating Caesar's interactive CEO, Mitch Garber, about online poker. Uh you have to give credit to Andy Abood for at least being willing to do this, taking the unpopular viewpoint and have a public debate about this. So Nolan Dalla watched this debate. This debate took place at uh, Planet Hollywood on, uh, what was it, March 19th, so just six days ago. And uh, Andy Abood is the Senior Vice President of Government Relations for the Las Vegas Sands Corporation. Yes, that is the same Las Vegas Sands Corporation owned by Lockman. Wait, not Lockman. Owned by Adelson. And obviously Sheldon Adelson is very anti-online gaming. So this guy, of course, has to back Adelson's position. And he went and took part in this debate, which is pretty brave to sit there where everybody in the audience is against you and debate someone who the audience is going to be cheering for. So Andy Abood debated him on whether online poker should be legal. And Nolan Dalla reported that Andy Abood actually started off quite well. In the first quarter of the debate, it seemed like Andy Abood probably did better. Nolan Dalla didn't say that, but the way Nolan Dalla worded it, he said, in fact, after listening to the first quarter of the debate, I thought Mr. Garber, who was arguing the pro-online poker side, had fully met his match. Now, given that Nolan Dalla is very pro-online poker himself, if he's admitting that Garber, quote, met his match in the first quarter of the debate, that probably means Mr. Abood there was ahead, that he probably brought up a lot of very well-thought-out points that Mitch Garber probably had a hard time answering. I'm guessing probably like the money laundering stuff and probably didn't do it as ridiculously as Dewey Tomko did. He probably didn't mention Crackhead 33. So after the first quarter 
of the debate, where everything seemed to be going well for Abud, then everything fell apart. This is what occurred. Um, first of all, it started to become more and more obvious, I say after like, in like the second quarter of the debate, that uh, Andy Abu didn't know as much about online poker as he was portraying at the beginning. He seemed to be saying some things that would make him uh, look clueless. But the real bad thing occurred right around the middle of the debate where Andy Abood said, hey, well, I went to a high-tech presentation that was all about online poker. And he said, I learned a lot from that presentation. Uh, it had the, pre- the presentation was about industry safeguards, security, operations, support, and uh, a, lot of, a lot of other facets that go into running online poker sites. So he was just telling the story on his own, didn't seem to be going anywhere with it. And then he said, and I was, I was listening to this uh, presentation on online poker. Well, with them talking about all that stuff, they, they lost me. <laughs> so he actually admitted that he didn't understand what was being discussed at this presentation, which is unbelievable. This is supposed to be the expert who's against online poker admits that he goes to a presentation about about all the safeguards and all the uh, support and operations of these sites and that they, quote, lost him. So how is he debating this if he doesn't understand it? It's like, yeah, I don't understand online poker. I don't understand how it works or uh, how their security is working and what safeguards they have in place. They lost me when they explained all that, but I'm against it. How does that make any sense? How, how is he the one debating this? So the crowd couldn't believe it. They're sitting here with their mouths wide open going, what the hell? <laughs> How could he actually admit to this? It's not, like, it's not like Mitch Garber said, hey, I bet they lost you there. You know, Why don't you try explaining some of these things and caught him with his pants down? He actually volunteered without any provocation that they lost him during that presentation. So Mitch Garber kind of missed a chance to say, then why are you up here telling this industry's own experts about their own business? But uh, he should have. But everyone was thinking that. So then, as the debate moved on, then Andy Abood lied. Again, without any kind of provocation, said that the Sands Corporation, which owns the Venetian, uh, that, quote, our position against online poker has always been consistent. That's not true. In 2010... They had the North American Poker Tour at the Venetian, which was owned and operated by Poker Stars. So here they had a, a North American Poker Tour event there, and uh, they seemed to be leaning towards online poker. And then uh, they did an about face, and Sheldon Adelson decided he didn't like online poker or online gambling anymore. And that's fine. He's welcome to change his mind. But that's a lie to say that they've always been against online poker. If they were so against it, they wouldn't have had a Poker Stars event at the Venetian. And they I did. actually, I actually thought, weren't they teaming up with Poker Stars, or was that the win? That, well, there was. I mean, there were some rumors that uh, that was kind of a precursor to it. Yeah, it, it wasn't an accident. It wasn't an accident. They had the North American Poker Tour there. There's no way. Yeah, yeah, because that was you know that's what I thought was going to happen. I was like, oh well, Poker Stars gets with the Venetian. Well, Venetian wins that race. <laughs> you know, that's so, at least was what I thought at first. So. Yeah. Now, Jay Stat is saying in chat, Abud represents Alderson's Chinese triad 
parentheses, mafia, Macau profits, and Garber speaks for Caesars, which is $20 billion in debt, a fine example of businessmen. <laughs> so <laughs> anyway, uh, then after that, he was getting really agitated. And then for whatever reason, he attacked the PPA. And not even for anything the PPA has done or not done, but uh, he said that you know, it, when he was discussing the future prospects of legalized online poker, he referred to the PPA by saying, then you have the PPA and all of their creepy Twitter followers. <laughs> so, so the PPA, all the followers of the PPA are apparently tw- uh, creepy. So if you follow the PPA's Twitter account, you're creepy, according to Andy Abood. So why even say that? It's just a crazy thing to say. Um, if he wants to attack the PPA for something, he should use points that he felt that they're incorrect about or things that uh, they're doing that he thinks are wrong. But they're, they're creepy Twitter followers. I mean, if there's anyone who's innocent, it's their Twitter followers. These are just people who want to yeah. see online poker legalized. This is just silly. Uh, that doesn't make no sense. Is there any video or audio of that? Uh, people are asking. No, I'm uh, trying to find I, I tried to find it before the show. I, I don't think anyone recorded it. It's too bad, but I cannot find any sound bites of this. I've I made some attempt before the show to find this, and it could not. May, if it exists, please post it in the chat room, and I'll play it in here. But anyway, uh, Nolan Dollar writes, just about everyone I was around looked at each other in stunned disbelief. There were audible gasps from many sitting in the audience, likely the PPA's Twitter followers. Later, several observers gathered outside the room expressed utter shock that poker player activists would be called creepy by someone with, by someone no less with the title of President of Government Relations. So I, I guess he's good at government relations, but not, uh, not public relations. So uh, I have no idea what caused this meltdown on his part, but he completely fell apart during the, the, the debate after starting off well. Like, why go after the PPA followers on Twitter, of all things? And why <laughs> why say they you got lost when you were at a presentation about online poker? Even if it's true, don't admit to that. That just weakens your position right away. I don't know what the guy was thinking. It's, it's especially weird from someone who's doing well in the debate and then just for some reason almost becomes like a different person. He goes from like a, a master debater to... Totally inept and clueless. A masturbator? A master debater. <laughs> so, okay. That's, uh, I mean, it's good when these things happen because if the other side makes themselves look stupid, then that increases the chances that this fight for legalization of online poker will succeed. And uh, that's really what we need. And fortunately, they haven't been doing a very good job in the opposition. The attempts to make online poker look bad have been done pretty poorly. They've been done... It just... It's been a combination of overstatement, exaggeration, ridiculousness, cluelessness, and even the general public can see through that in most cases. So they just haven't presented a convincing case to the average person to why online poker should not be legalized. I'm not saying that they won't get their supporters, but I don't think it will get through to enough people to where there will be enough outrage to prevent this because online poker legalization has been moving ahead pretty quickly at the state level. More and more states are talking about this. We may even have it in California in 2015. Who knows? You know, there's bills on the table. 
it's moving forward. And if they don't really, really get their shit together on the other side and really put together a good attack plan, it's going to fall apart. And I'm actually underwhelmed by what uh, Adelson's cronies have done so far. I thought with all the money he had to sink in, this, he would have very effective means and very effective people against it. But so far he's hired a bunch of clowns or sent a bunch of clowns in to fight it. And they've been very poor and very ineffective. And that's good. So let's hope it continues that way. Want to move on to my de- not my debate, my editorial. Every week I have an editorial, and it's a new feature for 2014. Before I get to that, though, I want to get to another new feature of 2014. Read some text messages. I got a number of texts since last week. This one came in on March 19th. Quick message from a New Zealand mate. Here, I'll read it in his voice. Quick message from a New Zealand mate. There's a few of us here that we love listening to your crazy antics in Vegas, long-time lurkers. Apparently, nine of eleven girls you've had sex with, you chatted up on the phone. Teach us. I don't know if I said that. Nine of Did I really say nine out of eleven girls that I've had sex with, I chatted up on the phone first? Jeez. Is that even true? I don't I don't remember you ever saying anything like that. I mean it's by the way, I hear a lot of breathing by the way, it's not Garrett. Yeah, it's well I hear it too, that's the thing. I was I was looking what? in the chat and they were saying that and I hear it too. Wait, we're both breathing? Wait, what's going on here? Is there a I don't know. Is there a secret I'm wondering breather if on the we're phone? both nose breathing. I, <laughs> I I was looking in the the Skype to see if someone else was yeah, I don't on see the anyone line. Else. That's weird. What if we have like a, a secret breather on the phone? What if it's what if it's Andy Abood here? <laughs> <laughs> breathing it like, watch, being... I'll mute my mic for a sec while yeah, okay. you finish your editorial. Okay. So. i got to figure this out. I'm here. I'm going, damn. Breathe. I say, I hate to tell you, but the everything's gotten quieter. Unless we're both doing did it. Did it go away? Then maybe it – I wonder if it's rubbing up against my beard. It, maybe it is. <laughs> it must be it. I I hope it's not me. I don't know. I, How about I don't now? Have... Is it still doing it? Not really. I, I don't really have time to breathe. I've, I've been – talking so much. I I really haven't had time to take a breath, to be honest here. But, anyway. Yeah, whatever. um, So, he's saying 9 out of 11 girls I've had sex with, they chatted up on the phone. You know, that's possible. I met a number of girls over the years from either computer bulletin boards, which is kind of like the precursor to the internet, especially in the 80s and early 90s, and party lines, and even a few in weird cases like uh, wrong numbers. Situations where I would speak to the girl on the phone before we would meet in person. Now, I don't know if it's 9 out of 11. I had sex more with more than 11 girls, but uh, they're trying to say 9 out of every 11 I met that I met on the phone first. And I, they're claiming I said that at some point. I don't know if that's true, but I will tell you a lot of them, more than half for sure, I talked to on the phone before meeting in person. And the reason that is is the same reason that I select the games to play in poker that I do. And that is, when I have success in something, I say, well, I might as well repeat it. I might as well keep to what's working. So what I found, just kind of by accident, from a young age, was that once I got a girl on the phone, I was very good at getting her to like me. And establishing a connection to once we met in person, it was pretty easy to take it to the next level. 
Whereas if I was starting from square one right in person, it was harder. Not that I never was able to do that, but it was harder. I found that just the phone was the perfect medium for me. I found the computer was too impersonal, that you talk on there, it just it almost seems like you're not talking to a human being. And when you're right there face-to-face, it's too personal. It's harder to open up to a stranger. But on the phone, you're not seeing the person, but you're hearing a voice. And to me, it was like the perfect middle ground of being personal but not too personal to where I could really establish a connection, at least an initial connection, and then move from there. So that's why I always like to talk to girls on the phone and build something up that way and then I can make things happen and I'll tell you that uh, my current relationship while it's a girl that I met in college many many years ago and I did not meet her over the phone uh, we were not involved back then but that our current relationship had to do with the phone because we talked on the phone for like three weeks every night for like two to four hours before seeing each other again for the first time in 16 and a half years so it almost was like a phone thing, except we had seen each other before and known each other before for many, many years ago. And I have to say that all those phone calls definitely did help establish something for when she came to Las Vegas to see me for the first time since 1993, that everything was already pretty much established. And it was just a matter of making it continue in person. Um, I used to like to say... I win on the phone and I break even in person. We're pretty much, I I make all the progress on the phone and then once we meet in person, as long as I don't make things worse, then I'm in good shape. So that's my answer to the New Zealand guy. I think uh, JSTAT just posted audio uh, for the about whatever it was. Really? Let's see. Let me go to the chat room. Let's hear this. Oh, that's the whole debate. Uh, JSTAC, can you post this maybe somewhere on the forum or PM me? I, I'm not going to play the whole thing here for obvious reasons. Uh, someone asking me in chat, did you ever have the guy from Catch a Predator walk in after the phone conversations? No, no, no. I, I was pretty good at sniffing out <laughs> if, if a minor was talking to me, and I definitely wasn't looking for minors, especially once I got older. You know, like when I was 19, 20, then I didn't mind uh, talking to girls who were 17. But, you know, once I got older, I, was, I wasn't looking to talk to minors. In fact, if I heard a girl was under 18, that would be the end of the conversation. But, um, no. <laughs> uh, real talk saying, druff bum, hun- druff bum hunting chicks on datelines. Well, you know what? Uh, I kind of was, in a way, because... You know, bum hunting is the practice of only playing bad opponents in poker. And I did pretty much only play bad opponents because when you meet girls in chat rooms or on party lines, the competition is very, very weak. The guys you're competing against are terrible. Uh, These are usually guys who are very desperate. Um, Very few of them are good looking. Very few of them are interesting. Very few of them are smart. And the few of them that have one of these good qualities usually lack big time in the others. So, like, it was very easy to beat out the competition in these areas. And I like that, too. So I guess I kind of was bum hunting. Um, He's also saying pretty good means you got tricked a couple times. I actually did get tricked a couple times. In uh, You know, there were a few times that I got tricked, not when I was much older, but uh, there were a few times when I was younger that I got tricked into meeting minors who claimed to be 18. 
And, uh, you know, upon learning, I didn't do anything with them. I, upon I, learning that the girls were under 18, I just left. So, and I, I would actually have them show me their ID if they were anywhere around that age, because I was uh, paranoid that uh, I would have a Chris Hansen situation happening. So, this uh, Poker 68 Fish says in chat, if I remember last week, you said most of these girls were shy and some were good looking. Yeah, um, the girls were actually better looking through these means than you would expect. You would expect, okay, you go on, you know, chat lines in the 80s and, you know, chat rooms and party lines and all that stuff. You're not going to meet very attractive girls. And it's true, there were some pretty hideous girls in those parts, but there were actually some surprisingly good-looking ones uh, who were ones that just were naturally good-looking but just not um, not very outgoing, kind of shy, just kind of, you know, not not the popular girls in school. You know, like when you were in high school and you saw some girls who were very pretty but they were not part of the popular crowd? In fact, a lot of people didn't even regard them as being pretty because they weren't part of the in crowd. Uh, those are the type of girls I'm talking about. So... Um, and someone says, I expect a lot of fat chicks. So there were a lot of fat chicks. Um, now, it never bothered me if a girl was not thin. I, I don't like girls who are really fat, but if they were like, you know, average weight or a little bit above average, that, that didn't bother me. So that also helped, that that wasn't a thing that, that got to me, where other things would bother me a lot. So, uh, but but, you know, there were a lot of girls on these things that actually were good-looking on an absolute basis that most guys would think were good-looking. Good look, were good and uh, some of them were crazy, and some of them had a lot of problems, but, uh, you know, as far as one-night stand type stuff, that would... Uh, that really doesn't matter for that stuff. So, thank you to JSTAT for DMing me on Twitter the Abood debate. I wish I had that before, but I don't. <laughs> Lou Father saying in chat, I think when Druff says average, he really means a five. Well, yeah, that's what is average. Isn't that what... F- a five is average. I'm sorry. You know, like, what else would I mean? An eight? An eight's not average. An eight is like, to me, better than 80% of girls. It's way above average. Um... As far as what my standards were, if they were, like, average or better, I was happy. I didn't have, like, really high expectations for looks. As long as, like, we got along really well, that was the important thing to me. As long as they were average-looking, then I could be physically attracted to them. If they were below average, I could not be. But if they were average, I could be. So if I had that much physical attraction at averageness, looks-wise, and then I liked their personality, that was good enough for me. Um, Druff, would you prefer a better face or body in the chat? I have to say better face is more important. Like, I, I wouldn't want a good face and a terrible body, but a better face is more important. Beer and Poker saying, Druff would bang the Olsen twins because their combined weight would fit his criteria. <laughs> but, you know, I, uh, I wouldn't want someone who looks like the Olsen twins. They're way too thin. Uh, this is a person from New Zealand. He says, Locke's new ad, not New Zealand, New Orleans, not New Zealand. From New Orleans says, Locke's new ad 
read tweets on golfpoker.net. I don't know what he means by that. I think he's trying to say that Locke has an ad. Oh, Locke has a new ad on golfpoker.net, I think he's trying to say. Or read their tweets. I don't know. Person saying free Judonk from the 941 area code. <laughs> from the 704 area code. My boyfriend hasn't won anything at poker, and now he's taking these poker pills, and he's still a loser. <laughs> that I believe. From the 617. Well, wow, a lot of stuff in this guy. I must say, I just had a withdrawal from Bovada and got it in two days. He also says, this anonymous poker thing blows for cash games, but Lotus mid-stakes MTT players, it's profitable. Granted, this won't last forever, but I think the games are a little better because it's a sports betting casino site. So he brings up a good point. If you're playing casino, or you're, not casino, you're playing multi-table tournaments, it's not as bad to have anonymous players because then it's not as likely you're being cheated because people can't select the seats they get or the games they get. Bovada cash-outs are shakier via region as well. East Coast players are getting checks and cash in two to four days. Mid to West have had issues. That's interesting. And then referring to the lock poker situation of why people stayed on. Of course, motherfuckers didn't want to get a job. Hashtag poker welfare. This is all from the same guy. Someone from 205 saying, what the fuck, Druff? I think that was Raw Wolf. Someone from 954 saying, show's cutting in and out for your iPhone listeners. Enjoy WSOP Insight. We'll be attending. Do you ever fold bottom set? Is there a, ever a case? Never, right? Well, hmm. I wouldn't say never. Again, certain players on a certain dry board, like, you know, Jack 7 Deuce Rainbow, if we both have really big stacks, and I think the person could easily have pocket sevens or pocket jacks, I'm thinking, what else could they be putting in all these chips with? I might lay down the deuces. But I have to admit, it would be kind of tough to uh, fold that. I, I never have folded bottom set uh, against one player. But I have folded a set on the flop against two players on the turn. And I was correct with a weird combination making a straight. I was against two players. I was short stacked, believe it or not. And this is at the main event two years ago. And there was one guy who was like playing any two cards who was very aggressive. And a female who was very tight and very passive. And I bet and he raised and she went all in. And I had actually middle set. Or like I think I had third set out of four cards. I had pocket fours. And I laid it down and it turned out I was ahead of the woman who had like pocket queens. But the guy had a straight and I would not have hit the, the river so I made the right move Aaron Mikeun saying should have folded that set to Helmuth refer, referring to 2009 <laughs> that one I couldn't fold didn't have enough chips there and I was against one opponent and he didn't even play it like he had a flush The engineer just came into chat. This is Rich Muni, the vice president of the PPA, and said, we're creepy. <laughs> he came into the chat to announce that. <laughs> then he got a he got a warm welcome from Lou Father in the chat. Rich, fuck off, you loser. <laughs> and Rich says back, you too, pal. Everybody getting along real well here. All right. Um, and finally, 
from our favorite person in the 815 area code. Also, almost forgot I've got a boner. So that is a list of the text messages we received here on 775-372-8355, mostly today, some earlier this week. So you can always text me anytime, 24 hours a day at that phone number, and I will read it on the air, unless you ask me not to. So moving on now to our editorial. Our editorial is called, When you're number two in online poker, you have to try harder. And to fully understand what I mean by that, I'd like you to listen to this. Davis is so sure that every confirmed reservation you make, we fill. We make you a promise. We've got to be nice to our foreign visitors, so I'm just letting them go in front of me. If Avis can't produce the Plymouth you reserved, we'll move you up to a higher-priced car. Maybe even an Imperial for exactly the same price. You're on about two minutes. Thank you. Now, sir? So why did you take them? Howard Bolton. You're next, sir. Yes, I know, but he's from Texas, and I once had a lot of fun down there, and he's in a hurry with his oil wells. And At last. Now, sir. Yes, uh, my name is Robert King, and... Uh, I reserved a Plymouth. Uh, Mr. King, about your Plymouth... Now, when uh, you reserve one car with Avis, it's almost like reserving two. The Plymouth you asked for and the Imperial you're hoping for. Oh, my. I have to give you an Imperial. If you think Avis tries harder, you ain't seen nothing yet. So that's a commercial from, I think, the late 60s for Avis. It actually has a 1969 date I saw on the contract that was being signed at the rental car place in this commercial. Um, Avis had a slogan in at least the 70s. I hadn't heard about 1969, but I know in the 70s they had a slogan, when you're number two, you try harder. That's because Avis was the number two car rental company behind Hertz. I don't know who's number two and number one today, but back in the 70s, that's the way it was. And Avis, instead of trying to pretend they were number one, decided to have these self-effacing commercials saying, hey, we're number two, but because we're number two, we're not arrogant like Hertz is. We actually try harder to try to be number one. So the reason I played this commercial is that I think a lot of the current legalized online poker rooms can learn from Avis. They have to try harder. And... From what I'm seeing, they're not. And what I mean by try harder is they have to do things to make themselves more attractive to the players. Now, I'm going to compare the two poker rooms that I've played on in Nevada. I haven't played any of the New Jersey rooms because I have not set foot into the state of New Jersey since they legalized online poker over there. But I have played a good deal on both Ultimate Poker and WSOP.com. And... It doesn't take a genius to see which of the two sites is more active. Uh, Ultimate Poker in Nevada is a ghost town, especially at the middle and higher limits. And WSOP.com, while not doing that well either, at least has some active games. The problem is, if you look at the two sites, they're very similar as to what they offer. They offer the same games. They have essentially the same rake structure. They have essentially the same VIP program. In fact, WSOP.com's is better because it's simpler, but they're too similar to one another. They both stick to the same formula, the same model. There's nothing on Ultimate Poker that's going to bring you over there because they're better than WSOP.com. I guess their support is better, that's true, but that's not enough. That's not going to attract people. That's going to retain people. That's not going to attract people. 
So what I was telling Ultimate Poker when I was criticizing them, and when I say criticizing them, I wasn't trying to be a jerk or make fun of them. I was trying to give them constructive criticism to make the site better. And I also told this to one of their employees who I spoke to on the phone. And when I say employees, I don't mean some support guy. I mean you know one of the higher-ups there I spoke to on the phone a few months ago. And I was trying to say, look, you know, you need to do something to give yourself an edge over WSOP.com. Otherwise, everyone's going to go there by default because they're the bigger brand. Everybody wants to go to the site that's the official site of the World Series. They have the better marketing behind them. So if you're going to get the players, you have to have something they don't. And, like, the guy understood. And the person I was talking to, is a, he's an intelligent guy. And he, it seemed like he understood everything. And in fact, a lot of the things I thought that he and Ultimate Poker did not understand, he did understand. And I actually left the conversation feeling mostly impressed with him, but when it came down to it, very little changed. And when it came down to it, there just wasn't a reason to play an Ultimate Poker above WSOP.com. And I just don't understand. Why don't they offer more rake back? Why don't they offer a VIP program that doesn't expire after a month? Why don't they offer incentives, big incentives for starting up games? Why don't they find innovative programs to bring people over there to where they say, hey, WSOP has more action right now, but I can't afford not to play on Ultimate Poker because of all the great things they're doing here. And they don't have to do so much that it's going to bankrupt them. But they can do more. They can do more at least to make the site active once again. Then they can tone some of it down, but still try harder, as Avis would say, to where they have the superior benefits, to where you can tell they are trying harder, to where you can tell they are making sure they do everything better in order to counteract the brand advantage that WSOP.com has. But I just don't see them doing it, and I don't understand. And it's not just Ultimate Poker. I'm seeing this from all the poker rooms in Nevada and New Jersey, the ones I don't know as well, but I'm not seeing any New Jersey rooms doing anything all that special either. Or if they are, they're not publicizing it well enough. So we will see legalization in other states, maybe even big states like California, and we will again probably see certain rooms dominate while others struggle. I'm just wondering if the ones that struggle will get the picture will learn what Avis learned 40 years ago. That in order to succeed, if you are number two, you have to try harder. And so far, I'm not seeing that. I'm seeing them trying to keep pace, but I'm not seeing them trying to offer something extra. Now, how how do you feel about everything I just said here? Uh Uh-oh. I I need to get the cricket sound effect ready. I'll, I'll get... We'll see if I can play the crickets before he responds. Sorry, my. Oh, okay. My... I almost, I almost had the crickets ready. I was actually trying to find, um, I was actually trying to find a spot in that that uh, uh, sound clip. I was trying to find a. Which sound clip? The, the Avis? everybody creeps. The one with. Oh, the, the creeps. Oh, okay, so you're doing yeah. you're doing work behind the scenes. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I was I was trying to help you out there, Druff. Okay. Well, at least you weren't uh, completely <laughs> ignoring me. I'll... No, no. I'll give you that here. <laughs> that's the uh, that's the participation I got from you in this segment. Yeah, I'm. Uh, 
Yeah. I got to keep that ready next time. I just got to keep that. This has happened twice this show. So next time I make a long rant, I'll say, so uh, level account here. How do you feel about that? <laughs> okay. So that's my editorial. And uh, I, I just don't get it. I, I just don't get it. It's not, it's not rocket science. It's not difficult to figure out that if you're getting your, if you're getting beat down by the competition, you've got to change something. Yeah. You know, Absolutely. it's interesting because Ultimate Poker, I posted right before I got banned on 2 Plus 2. I I posted it on their forum on 2 Plus 2, and I said, look, I'm going to be honest with you guys. I'd love to play on your site, but I'm a seven stars at Caesars, which gets me automatic 30% rake back on WSOP.com, no matter how much or how little I play. So why would I play on Ultimate Poker? where I have to re-earn my status every month if I don't play enough. And I have to start with like zero rake back and earn up from there. Why would I do that if I have a established 30% over on WSOP.com? And even if you want to say I'm an unusual case, being that I'm a seven star, um, still, you have to find a way to appeal to players that are not playing constantly, that are playing sporadically, so they don't lose the status they earn so quickly. It's like, I got all the way up to Cranberry up there, and then I lost it. And like I'm like, I don't feel like earning it again. And I, I'm saying, look, this just is not a – this isn't a good business model. People just don't want to bother with it. That's how I feel. So I got a private message from someone there saying, you know, you know that's what we can do for you, blah, blah, blah. But I'm not going to get into what I was offered, but it wasn't that impressive. It wasn't anything that was going to bring me over there. In fact, it wasn't even as good as what I was getting at WSOP.com. So I, I'm like, well, you know what, I'll, I'll, I'll let you know, but uh, for right now, no. I just don't get it. I, I don't know why they're not like really aggressively going after I, – I don't think they have any legal limit as to what kind of rake back they can offer. Like why not beat them? Why not say, hey, we offer more rake back than uh, WSB? Like get the word out that way. They're just not. Well, it's kind of like you know, people go where people go. Um, you know, like if there's a bunch of people on one website, then everybody's going to flock there. And so – you know, when one has an advantage, it's like, you know, what else is it? What's the next guy supposed to do? You know, and they should be giving all kinds of, you know, benefits, but they're obviously, I mean, it's Caesars, right? So, well, yeah, at least Caesars is, uh, you know, they've, I'm playing at their site because uh, I have the better benefits there. I'm just wondering why the smaller site is not trying harder to be them, you know, Caesars, they're going to get their players just from being WSOP.com. But the other sites have to, the ones behind them, need to offer something extra to counteract that, and they're just not. So, uh, and uh, Aaron Mikehunt in the chat is saying, I asked you that a few weeks ago. I think they're price-fixing rakes back. I don't know if they're price-fixing it or if they're just all copying each other and, and by extension, copying poker stars. They're, They're modeling their rake back after poker stars, which is a mistake because... Poker Stars was something you could play anytime whenever you felt like it. And these sites you can only play when you're in the state. So for people visiting from out of the area, it's a killer because they get their rake back back down to zero if they haven't played in over a month. And they don't feel like building back up. I think that's a huge mistake. They shouldn't make it a monthly thing. It should be a yearly thing. And just because Poker Stars made it a monthly thing doesn't mean you should do it on your site because... The state sites are different than the national sites. 
or the international sites, you know, because the international sites provided you can access them, you can play any time. The state sites, it's not your fault if you just can't be in Nevada more than, you know, a few times a year. So, anyway, um, Grenada Roger says in chat, uh, oligopolistic competition in, econ- in uh, economist speak. And it kind of is, but uh, that is my editorial. And I'm telling you, I'm telling you guys, there are ultimate poker and other rooms. If you don't change, if you don't offer something that the others don't, you're going to fail. It's... Yeah, maybe they have to fail to realize that. <laughs> I was told by somebody who doesn't work on these sites, but who is close with some people who do, that they're losing a lot of money on all of the sites, not just uh, Ultimate Poker, but the all these online poker sites are losing a lot of money, that the overhead has not been... Uh, they haven't gotten in the black from all the overhead, so... I don't know if that's true. That's just what someone told me. But uh, just or maybe I, they just have a shitty marketing team. <laughs> yeah, just thought I'd pass that along. Something I do find stupid with Caesars. Um, if you go into the lobby in Caesars, like right outside the elevator for the parking structure, you see a big sign about WSOP.com, and even the "Do Not Disturb" signs have something about WSOP.com, and then like they're advertising it very hard. And yet, if you actually do what they're asking you to do and go up to your room and sit there playing WSOP.com all day, no matter how much you rake, your host and the casino will be very unhappy about it. So, like, next time you ask for a comp room and they say, oh, no, 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 you didn't play. You're like, no, no, I did. I played on WSOP.com. You're like, well, no, that's, that's not playing as far as we're concerned. Like, they don't see that as actually playing, which is so stupid. Like, well, if you yeah, because go- – <laughs> It's like uh, like Lou Father just said, you know, they're not targeting tourists. You know, they want you in their casino. Yeah, but the, the funny thing is, though, they're advertising in the casino. That's what I don't get. They're like they're they're pushing it so hard <laughs> in the casino itself, but then if you do what they're asking you to do in the ads, then the host of the <laughs> casino gets frustrated. <laughs> yeah, then they don't reward <laughs> you. In fact, they they act like you're screwing them by taking their comp room and playing at WSOP.com. I totally don't get that. Like like you can rake like a thousand dollars and they're still pissed off. It's it's so strange. So. I I don't feel like having that debate with him, but I, I really should. I really should just call up my host and go, "Hey, you know, why why are my comps being reduced? Why are why are you acting like I'm not playing when I'm playing so much on WSOP.com, even when I am taking these rooms? Why like, don't you I, do it right now? Call him up. <laughs> <laughs> I want to hear this. So, uh, you know, they, it just must not be in the structure to where the hosts get rewarded for you playing on WSOP.com, I guess, assuming that you can do this anywhere in Nevada. You know, you can do this uh, sitting in the gas station or in somebody else's house, so, you know, they don't want you wasting the hotel room for that. But it just seems strange that they would push it in the casino and then not count it as casino play. So uh, I guess we're down to the final portion of the show, and that is Ask Dandruff, and I guess also Ask Level Account. By the way, I got another text from the New Orleans guy. Druff, when you come to New Orleans, I'll buy lunch. Nolan Dahl and I talk about you. Uh, talk about you do and the cricket event. I don't know what he's saying here. Something about a, I don't know what cricket event, but I mean, I, I guess it's <laughs> interesting. I don't know about what Nolan Dahl says about me. I know, I know Nolan Dahl knows who I am and knows me. He doesn't know me well, but uh, he knows of me, and. Uh, He's even linked to Poker Fraud Alert a few times on his blog. 
So I hate to tell you there, but you just missed me. I was just in New Orleans in December, and I don't know when I'm coming back. I had not been there since 2002 prior to coming there in December. But I might come back. Harris, New Orleans is pretty nice, and I did enjoy my time there. And I would like to come back in a different season because the winter, uh, there's certain things you can't see if you're there in the winter, like the uh, the crocodiles and the swamps that uh, I'd like to see. So maybe I will come back. Not in the summer. It's brutal there in the summer. Maybe in the spring. Not this spring, though. So ask Dan Druff. You can either do it on the phone, 775-FRAUD-55, 775-372-8355, or 702-430-1808 as the Mount Charleston line. Or you can text me, 775-372-8355, or or you can do it in the chat room, where I bet we're going to get most of the questions. You can ask level account, and... And there's probably no guarantee I'll answer anything because I'd like my private life to stay (laughs) private. (laughs) Okay. Here's a question I got earlier via Twitter. Sorry for the random question. Is it your understanding that the total rewards tier status you achieve in 2013 is only good till March 31st? (laughs) Um. I played all 2013 to get diamond status, finally got it on December 28th, and now only get to enjoy it for three months? Shady, in my opinion. No. It's better than that. You get it for a full year minimum, no matter what. So, you can actually have it for over two years if you were to earn it, like, early in the year. Let me explain. In whatever calendar year it is, we're talking about Caesar's Total Rewards Properties, whatever status you earn, whether it's platinum, diamond, seven star, whatever. During the calendar year you earn it, you have that status for the remainder of that calendar year and you immediately have all the benefits for the remainder of that calendar year. Then you also have it for the following calendar year, even if you don't play anything at all that year. You can play nothing. So let's say you earned it in 2013. Let's say let's take this guy's case, December 28th. He got the benefits for the remainder of 2013, which is only three days, but that's just because he got it at the very end of the year. Now he also gets the diamond benefits for all of 2014, even if he doesn't play at all. And he will continue to get the benefits until March 31st of 2015. But then on April 1st, 2015, he will go back to the bottom level, which is gold, unless he, he re-earned a status through 2000, in 2014. So whatever he earns this year in 2014... Um, that'll be the minimum status he will have on April 1st. So he doesn't have to play at all. The guy asking me this question, you don't have to play at all if you want to keep your diamond in 2014. You have that no matter what. But if you want to have it in 2015, after April 1st, you do have to, this year, earn the diamond. Now, you might have a question. What if I don't play at all in 2014 and I keep my diamond like you said I would? But then at the beginning of 2015, before March 31st comes, I re-earn Diamond. Do I still keep it? The answer? Yes, you actually do. You actually can get away with it by doing that. So that is one way to keep your status. 
So you can actually kind of do it once every two years, provided you think you can finish it off uh, between January 1st and March 31st to not have any gap. So uh, that's the story, at least right now, unless they change the rules. Um, I was actually considering... Since I, you know, I have a seven star for 2014, but I haven't at all started to earn points back towards getting it. Just not to earn it at all in 2014. I'll still be a seven star and then earn it at the beginning of 2015, and then be good again for another uh, two years. I think that might be the smartest way to do it. So um, let's get back to the questions in the chat rooms. Which Caesars properties in Vegas have the best Diamond Lounge or Seven Star Lounge? I don't know. I've only been to the Caesars one, and I wasn't impressed. Um, I, I don't think there's any real good lounges in uh, in Vegas. There's just kind of some light snacks, and uh, yeah, they give you free drinks, but who cares? I guess if you're a big drinker, then great. But uh, other than that, I'm not that impressed with these lounges. Also, what makes it tough on me is if I'm with Benjamin then I can't go into them because uh, you can't bring anyone under 21. Even if I'm with his mom and Benjamin, you know, I can go in myself, but uh, we can't go in together because someone has to watch Benjamin. Uh, Sandwich saying in chat, Borgata beats them all. I've never been in the Borgata one. I don't have any status of the Borgata, but he's probably right. Let's see. Lou Father asks, Druff, what was the hardest you ever got rolled on a party line? Girl says she's a nine, but turns out to be a black rhino from Compton. That's his words, not mine. Uh, so what he's asking here is, what was the worst way I got fooled meeting girls on a party line, as far as looks were concerned? Um, it was actually on a BBS. I have probably one of my worst dates ever where I met a girl, um, I lived in Santa Barbara at the time, and she lived in uh, somewhere like Whittier or something, you know, L.A. area. So we met at a Denny's, kind of halfway between us. Denny's just because it was right off the freeway and convenient to meet. And this girl was just so arrogant, and it's just like, not arrogant in like a... Uh, a way that was putting me off, but like just very confident and told me all these stories about all these different guys hitting on her constantly. And she actually sounded pretty legit. Like I believe from her stories and her anecdotes that she was like really hot and dudes were hitting on her all the time. And uh, other than just kind of seeming a little bit arrogant, she, I, I liked her personality. She was fun. She was nice. She was funny. You know, we got along really well. And, um, I meet her at this Denny's and, First of all, looks nothing like I expected. Um, she had what I call the fat arms and legs problem, where her arms and legs were fat, disproportionate to the rest of her body, which just kind of looks strange. She also had really bad teeth, which, uh, uh-oh, what's happening here? I think this one's my fault. Yeah. I accidentally put my phone next to the uh, broadcasting equipment. It caused interference. That's not good. <laughs> so, so real talk saying in chat, what did you expect? She agreed to meet you at Denny's. She probably suggested it herself. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good point. But uh, anyway, 
really bad teeth and like she was way way shorter than me she was like five foot one and like when she opened her mouth i'm like looking directly down into her mouth because i'm so much taller and i'm just seeing her awful teeth uh there was like not, she just like was not attractive at all but i was trying to be nice i'm like well look she was a really nice girl and you know i got along with her so well like i'll try to make the best of this and i'm sitting there with her at the meal and she's just a complete bitch to me and and i didn't show disappointment when i met her i didn't act like i'm frustrated that she wasn't honest about her looks i just i i gave no sign of that and boy was she a bitch to me the whole time and it was like the most unpleasant date and she had like the sense of humor that I knew she had on the phone was just gone. And then the worst thing was, like, I just want this to be over. So I pay the bill. I'm just ready to go back to my car and just drive back to Santa Barbara and feel like a fool for driving all this way. And I'm walking out, and before I can even say a word, she says, um, I just want to say uh, I want to go back to my car myself. Do not walk me back there. I want to just go back there alone, so please don't follow me. I'm thinking, what the hell? Like, why would she say that? And then, so I asked her, I said, what do you mean, please don't follow you? I, she says, well, I could just tell you want to come back with me to my car and you want to kiss me there and I totally don't want to kiss you. So please just, just don't make that uncomfortable moment and don't follow me. And I, I couldn't believe it. Because this was so, like the opposite of the truth. All I wanted to do was leave. And she really thought that not only did she not want me to kiss her, she wanted me to know that she, that she didn't want to kiss me and that I need to stay away from her. And keep in mind, I didn't say anything rude or disrespectful or anything like that during the date. So I told her the truth. I said, I, I don't want to kiss you. I, I just wanted to leave myself. I just wanted to go home. I just wanted to get away from you. So you, you, <laughs> you've got the wrong idea here. And, uh, you know, you, you don't want to kiss me. The feeling's mutual. Because, uh, uh, believe me, I, I was very disappointed in you, too. So, and then she got pissed. Uh, someone saying I came across as a stalker. I really didn't. Like, I, I believe me. And especially once I met her in person, I, I really didn't have any interest. And I was just kind of trying to be nice. And I was nice. Like, I know when I'm being nice and when I'm not nice. I'm not nice all the time. But I know that I, w- I was being nice to her there. And it's not like all my dates are like that. It's not like every time I have a date... The girl thinks I'm a stalker and tells me to get away. Like, that's the only time I've ever had that happen. In fact, it's usually the opposite where, um, at the very least, uh, they tend to feel comfortable with me. Even if they, even if they don't like me or are not attracted to me, they always feel at least comfortable. So, uh, that was a new one on me. But, uh, that was the worst date, and that was probably the time I got, quote, rolled the most. You know, both by her personality being totally different than what was presented on the phone and the way she looked being totally different. So, um... The weirdest side note to this, I met her on a BBS and I didn't introduce her to anyone that knew me, anything like that. The weirdest side note was like a year later, Ken Scaler tells me about this girl he met, or didn't physically meet, but met over the phone when he was calling K-Rock, which is his favorite radio station. So I guess he called K-Rock and was flirting with one of the screeners and they got to know each other and they were talking on the phone all the time. And then he tells me she's from Whittier. I go, wait a minute. And then he tells me her name. And I go, wait a minute. That's, that's all the same. And he tells me her age, and it's the same. He tells me her description. It's the same. I go, oh, my God, it's the same freaking girl. And it was the same girl. So I told Ken, please don't even mention me. Don't, like, don't even pre- like, pretend you don't know me. But total coincidence, she ended up working at K-Rock and talked to Ken on the phone. But they never met in person. 
I would have paid money to see that date, though. Blue Father asking in chat, do I try to get a blowjob? No, I didn't try to get a blowjob. Like, like if things aren't going well, I don't try to get anything. Someone asking in chat if it's Tammy Heidi. No, it was not a famous radio person or even a semi-known radio person. This is like a screener. She never was on the air herself. And no, Ken never got with her. Okay, any other questions in the chat here? show's been on about uh, three hours. It's been about our length of show recently with the lighter poker news we've had in recent times. Sandwich is suggesting I should have said, things aren't going so well. Um, How about just a blowjob? <laughs> you know, <laughs> I, I should have actually said that to her when she... Drop that kissing line on me. She said, uh, you know, I don't want you to follow my cart and kiss me. I'm like, uh, no, no, forget the kissing. You just give me a blowjob. I'll be happy. That's what I should have said, just because her comment was so obnoxious. But you know what? I, like, I can't bring myself to say stuff like that. Because, like, I, even a girl who's being a complete bitch like she was, like, I can't bring myself to be like the, the dirty creep like that. Like, I just can't bring myself to talk that way. So... Now, when are you going to start selling pieces for the World Series of Poker? Very, very soon. I'm going to, very soon, probably this week sometime, post the official list of events I'm playing, which you can find right now, the unofficial list, at the 2014 World Series of Poker Forum on Poker Fraud Alert. And I will post the prices for buying pieces of me. And this is a buy-of-piece situation, like it's always been with me where you're not staking me, you're actually buying a percentage of me with a markup, of course. And then whatever percentage you buy is what you get from what I cash. So if you own 3% of me, whatever I cash, you get 3%. And uh, obviously I'm very reliable with paying people. You can ask all the fine gentlemen that uh, invested in me, and even one lady who invested in me in the uh, two events I cashed in last year, especially the... 5k limit where I finished 5th and shipped out around $30,000 to people so I pay I pay in a timely fashion you obviously don't have to worry about me rolling you you obviously don't have to worry about me uh, pulling any shenanigans and uh, I will be capping the amount one person can buy until I'm convinced that everybody has bought it who wants a piece I, I, I keep selling out every year and it makes me feel bad because I, I really want a large number of people with small pieces rather than a smaller number of people with big pieces. Because the, the whole, there's two points of doing this. One of the points is to decrease variance for me. And the second point is to make it more fun for the forum to watch me playing these events. Sandwich says, do you accept Bitcoin as long as we report to the IRS? Um, you know, you actually can pay me in Bitcoin. I actually have meant to post like a, a way to donate to the free roll in Bitcoin um, I, I do have an address that you can send me Bitcoin I just haven't really used it I, I don't want to take too much in Bitcoin for obvious reasons because I, I don't want to speculate in Bitcoin or if I do I want to be the one deciding to do it I don't want you to just send me like 10k in Bitcoin and then the value drops and I've just lost uh, 25% of it or more but if it's something small, I'll probably accept it in Bitcoin if you really want to send it to me. I'll, I'll have to come up with a way that uh, 
we do that. Of course, if you send me Bitcoin, you're going to be the one responsible for any fees incurred in me converting that to cash. So if that doesn't sound good for you, then send a different way. Because you can send me money on PayPal for free with no fees. You can send me, of course, a check. You can do a bank transfer. Uh, you can even give me cash. There are some people who've actually approached me and given me cash to the World Series, which the only bad thing about that is that it'll probably be too late to buy at that point. So unless I really can trust you're going to give the money and not flake on me, then I don't want to reserve your piece and then have you just never pay me. So, um, yeah, I don't want to pay any fees on whatever way you pay me. Someone's saying do a free roll for 1% of my action. I wouldn't do that for 1% of my action across the board, but, you know, maybe I'll give away small pieces of certain events. Maybe I'll do that. Um, Lou Father asking, has Ken Scaler ever gotten a legit seven or better? Answer, yes. Um, There's been a few. Surprising, but there's been a few. I will say the vast majority have been far below average in looks, but uh, there have been a few. In fact, he says the best one, and I never got to see this girl, so I couldn't validate it, but he was insisting to me it was true. Uh, back when 411 was a thing, back when you didn't just look up someone's phone number on the Internet, back when 411 was a thing, he was calling 411 for a phone number and got an operator on there that he was flirting with who stayed on the phone for a while, then gave her phone number to him. Either that or got his number. Whatever it was, they talked on the phone for a few hours. She came and met him. And shockingly, because girls who work at these operator-type jobs in call centers are really, really, really fat, typically. When I say really fat, I mean like over 300. But this one was not fat at all and was very attractive, he said. He said she was really, really hot. He's like the hottest girl he's ever touched. And surprisingly, she, like, did stuff with him. I, I don't think they had sex, but I think she like, gave him a blowjob or something. And I was shocked. Uh, Sandalmar asking, Puig versus Mattingly, will Puig get sent down to AAA and learn baseball, and who's boss? Well, yeah, I was a little worried this was going to happen with Puig, that the league was going to figure him out, and then his antics weren't going to be so cute anymore. And I, I did think that if he doesn't grow up soon, then he's going to have a huge drop-off and be a big failure. So he really hasn't shown signs of growing up yet. But I will say there was an encouraging sign at the end of last season when he was learning to take walks more and strike out less, whereas earlier in the season he was just swinging at everything. So there is hope for him. He had a terrible preseason, and uh, he didn't look good in the first game when uh, the Dodgers played in Australia, the regular season game. The second game, he hit okay, but he made some uh, boneheaded mistakes again. Um, so will he get sent out to AAA? I don't think so, unless it gets really bad. He's just too popular right now in L.A. Not just too popular, but uh, they're really counting on him to be a good part of the offense. Because the offense could still be a problem. I think everyone's convinced the pitching is going to be excellent this year for the Dodgers, between Kershaw and Greinke and Ryu, who look you know, very good in the game he pitched. And, um, you know, whoever else takes the fourth and fifth starting spots. I, I think it's going to be an excellent pitching rotation, and the bullpen looks really good. But the hitting may be inconsistent, so they need someone like Puig to 
really wake it up. I mean, the Dodgers were a failed team until Puig came up in early June last year, and then he really sparked them to turn it around, and then Hanley Ramirez came back and did the rest. So they really don't want to put him down. Um, when is Brandon coming back? I don't know. April or May is the projection. Is Ken Scaler still going to the BBW clubs? Yes, but not that often, but he does go occasionally. What about Ken's cat? People are asking me. They want an update. In fact, uh, Lou Father in the chat is specifically requesting an official update on Ken's cat, which, in fact, his cat was actually the subject. You know, each show I give a title. Each episode I give a title when it's in the archives based upon something we did in the show. So that show was actually named after Ken's cat. It was called Cat on a Cold Tin Balcony. So he wants an update on Ken's cat. So, all right, I'll give you an update. Ken's cat has experienced better times since the last show. Um, Ken took him back from Stephanie's place and got him his shots and brought him to PetSmart, who had originally demanded a 48-hour window between when it got its shots and when they would take the cat. Well, they didn't say anything about that. He just brought the cat in and said, here are the proof of the shots. And they said, okay, sure, and took it. So they took his cat. His cat uh, was in PetSmart as of last night. I don't know if he got the cat yet today, but he's either getting it today or tomorrow. So I think the cat's okay, in case you guys were concerned. I don't like cats. (laughs) Maybe, Maybe you were hoping the cat wouldn't be okay. Right. <laughs> so, uh, any other questions in the chat? Someone asking if I'll add a donate button. I'm actually considered that. Uh, I'll be honest. Part of the reason I didn't add a donate button to this site, and I'm talking just, I was thinking of adding a double donate button. That is one button to donate to the free roll and one just to donate to me for running the site. And part of the reason I didn't add the donate button, and I hate to admit this, is that the donate button was really the catalyst, though it was far from the only cause. It was the catalyst to the end of my time on Donk Down. And I was afraid if I added a donate button that people would bring that up and there'd be, you know, a lot of trolling about that. So I'm like, I I just kind of dreaded doing it because, like, you know, if you guys remember, the donate button on Donk Down just appeared there without any explanation and I wasn't even asked about it and I got pissed off because I felt like if we're going to put that up we need to tell the users first and explain what we're doing or at least tell them as we're doing it not just slap it up there and um, you know and I was pissed that I wasn't asked about it because I had been told that I can't make changes without consulting others and then it all went downhill from there I'm not going to rehash the whole thing but that it all went downhill from there so I'm like, you know, if I add a donate button now, we're going to have people saying, oh, you're a hypocrite. You, you complained about the donate button on Donk Down, blah, blah, blah. Like, I wasn't even against the donate button there. I just wanted it presented properly. But I might put one up anyway. And, you know, I don't want to seem like I'm begging for money. Uh, the main reason for the donate button would be so I don't lose money on the site, which I do when we don't have a sponsor. But it's not that expensive. You know, I can live with losing money on the site. But on the other hand, I'm like, you know uh, – I do put a good deal of work into this thing, and if people want to donate to the effort, 
and if people enjoy what I do here and they enjoy this show, then great. You know, I appreciate that. I, I don't need the money, but it's uh, it's great if they want to, or if they want to use the other donate button for the free roll, then that's that's great too. Uh, what happened to Stat Clash? They may come back. They uh, pretty much shut down their ad campaign on this site when football season was over. But they said they might come back when uh, football season starts again. Uh, Druff, if you knew you had only 24 hours left to live and could do anything within that time, how would you spend the day? This is going to sound very cliche and um, maybe not sincere, but if I only had 24 hours left to live, I would really just want to spend it with Benjamin and the rest of my family and um, I don't even know what I would do it would be hard to really enjoy anything I'm doing uh, knowing I'm going to be dead as someone saying in chat uh, play 18 hours of of limit (laughs) hold'em yeah right yeah that's not what I'd be doing (laughs) but uh, I, I don't know if I could really enjoy any activities, but I definitely want to be around my family during that time. And I, I don't expect ever to have that to where I know I have 24 hours left. I have thought about would I rather know my death is coming and prepare for it or just have it just hit me. And I've decided as long as it doesn't involve too much pain, I'd rather know. Like I wouldn't want to have horrifying pain for the end of my life. Then I, couldn't enjoy it at all but there's something I just hate about the thought of just bang it's over like just bang a heart attack I'm done like I, that's that's what I really don't want and as crappy as it would be to have like terminal cancer and know it's you know the end's going to come and it's going to be slowly and uh, it's going to be uh, painful I don't know something I try not to think about too much um, let's see. Anything else in the chat? Or we're we going to end this here. Beer and Poker saying about the 24 hours left to live, Druff would drink a case of Pepsi and eat a few steaks. You know, I, I have thought about maybe I just want to have a good meal, but, like, I wouldn't be able to eat if I knew I'd be dead in 24 hours. What was your favorite band or artist growing up in the 80s? You know, it kept changing. Um, I remember when I was like 13 years old, I really liked Twisted Sister of all things. And um, then you know, then I got to, into Huey Lewis and I liked The Cars. And um, I think there's some other ones I liked. Bringing out your inner tea girl. <laughs> what? <laughs> Oh yeah, the twist sister, or whatever they call that. Yeah, the, um, do they call them T girls or? I don't know. I I think they just see they weren't actual trannies or anything. They were just like a, and they didn't wear dresses. They just put on like women's makeup. But yeah, I I just like the music, not the look so much. And it was yeah. actually Twisted Sister was actually very popular among junior high school boys in the mid eighties. Well, D. Snyder is actually an intelligent guy. And yeah, he is. I, I watched some documentary of him testifying in front of Congress and stuff, and I'm like, whoa. <laughs> <laughs> and I actually like, uh, you know, someone's mentioning Billy Joel. I liked Billy Joel, too. And um, it's funny. I almost played a – or actually, I uh, I didn't almost. I played the Billy Joel song tonight on the show. How about ABBA? <laughs> I, I was never that much into ABBA. Um, but – I still listen to 80s music the most, as you could tell by my beginning song selection. 
I have Sirius Radio. I have the 80s station on the most by far. And that's just the music I've always liked best. Maybe somewhat because I was a teenager during that time. And I, I also just like it sound the best. You know, uh, I was reading something that said uh, something about when you're at the age of 19, the music that you like is most likely going to be the music you listen to the rest of your life. And I don't know why, if it's maybe changes in your brain or something. I don't remember. I read it on, like, Discovery, huh, that's Discovery website. That's not quite true for me, but it's close. So, um, yeah. Do you like Phil Collins? The answer is actually yes. I know a lot of people hate Phil Collins. I actually did like Phil Collins. He's retired from music as far as I know. I still like Phil Collins. Yeah. Uh, which I actually was at a Phil Collins concert, though. I'll say I didn't pay for it. Uh, Ken Scaler won it on some radio station, and he doesn't like Phil Collins, but he just went because it was free, and uh, and, and he offered the other ticket to me. Uh, which 80s movie was your high school most like? You know, <laughs> none. And that always bothered me. I actually kind of wished... My high school was like 80s movies in high schools, but like I always noticed my high school was nothing like the high schools I'd see on TV or in the movies. And it's probably because like no high school was. But Saved by the bell. <laughs> it always bothered – what bothered me though was that their lockers were always indoors and always like really, really big. Like 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 the the lockers were like six feet tall and always indoors. And my lockers in high school were like – Three, like two feet tall each, like like three lockers in a column, and they were always outdoors, and it just felt so strange. I could watch a show that's supposed to take place in L.A., yet they had their indoor six foot lockers, and I had my outdoor two foot locker. It just th- that part just bothered me. Like I, it just didn't even feel like high school when I saw that. And also something else I hated was how old everyone looked because they were old. Like like twenty five year olds, twenty eight year olds were playing high school students sometimes even older, and the, like they didn't look like they were my age. I knew what my age looked like, and they didn't look like the people on TV. So that bothered me too. So, um, And uh, someone else in the chat saying, was in high school in the 80s, locker was also outdoor and tiny like drums. <laughs> so, I'm glad it wasn't just me. So I, I don't know. I just couldn't – I enjoyed these high school TV shows and movies in, in the 80s, but I, I never took them as being realistic – and in fact, I like them better on TV than than what I actually saw in real life. I was like, oh, I wish my school was like that. I wish the people in my school were like that. Like, I, um, The only thing I, I didn't wish was that everyone looked that old. I would have felt weird being the only uh, actual 16-year-old among uh, 27-year-olds that are supposed to be 16. So um, I, I, I never – this is something I kind of regret. I never dated a single girl from my actual high school. Not, not one. I did date in high school, but it was always girls from other schools, including two that were from the high school across the other side of the city, but but never from my own high school for whatever reason. And uh, and even when I went to college, I didn't even date anyone in that college. Again, I dated in college, but no one in the college came close a number of times. It just never quite happened. And then I finally did. And the only one I've dated from my college is the girl I'm with right now. Druff, who is the most famous person from your high school? There's two people I think would be most famous. One is Bill Lame Beer of the Detroit Pistons. The other, Pete Sampras. Pete Sampras, in fact, just a year older than me and was in my biology class 
and flunked out of it. Pete Sampras was not very smart, but he was a very good tennis player. I was also in a tennis class with Pete Sampras once. And needless to say, uh, he made everybody else look bad. He really did. The, the, the teacher in the tennis class criticized the rest of us for being so bad and unable to follow her directions and said, why can't we be like Pete? She actually said that. Um, and they're, they're asking, was Pete a total douche? No, actually, he wasn't. He was nice. Uh, one time I even went to his house and we played football in his driveway. I forget the circumstances of that, but uh, we did. Uh, was Bill Lane Beer giving people blowjobs in the hallway? I don't know because he was much older than me. Bill Lane Beer graduated my high school in the mid-70s, and I was like three years old then. Beer and poker saying I was probably the third most famous guy in the high school since I was on ESPN. <laughs> probably not. Um, <laughs> I misread the question. It wasn't was Bill A. Beer giving people blowjobs in the hallway. It was Bill, Bill A. Beer giving people bows in the hallway. <laughs> I don't know why I read that as or bows, elbows, not even bows, elbows. <laughs> I misread it twice. Well, I can't answer that either. Maybe he was giving both. Maybe he's giving blowjobs in the hallway and bows and elbows and everything. He's going to call in next week. Yeah, he's going to call in and and, uh, give me a hard time for this. What are you doing spreading rumors that I'm giving blowjobs in the hallway in high school? (laughs) You know, um, a certain ex-forum user who I banned from here threatened me recently that he's going to email bad stuff about me to Bill Lane Beer because we went to the same school. I'm not even kidding. Can you imagine Bill Lane Beer getting an email about me? About me, like, you know, bothering people on the internet? You think he'd be interested in that email? Apparently someone... like, I don't give a fuck. Yeah. (laughs) Apparently someone someone thinks Bill Lane Beer is going to care that uh, someone who graduated his high school like 15 (laughs) years after him uh, is harassing people on the internet. Uh, which I'm not even doing, but uh, the guy who's threatening to do that is pretty crazy. Anyway, um, I think we're about done for this week. Thank you for once again being present for this show, whether live or in the archives. Next week... April 1st will be the next show. Some of you might wonder why I'm late every time. I mean, I was late when the show was at 7 o'clock, but I seem to be even later for the 6.30 show. Even though technically I'm earlier, because I I do start before 7. The reason for this is that um, 6.30 is not a very good time for me. So you might ask, if it's not a good time for me, why did I change it to that time? That's a fine question. But uh, I changed it to that time because I I can't do the show as late anymore. I have other things I have to do at night here, so I have to end earlier. So I thought by starting earlier, giving myself more time. The only problem is that it is hard to get everything done during the day and on the show by 6.30. So that's why I've been late. I'll try to be on time, but no promises, but... You know, sometimes it seems 6.30 and 7 is when you can expect the show to start. Just uh, show up at 6.30 and relax and uh, 
Hope it gets going if you're listening live. If you're in the archives, it doesn't matter. I'd like to thank Level Account here for being my co-host. and uh, Thank you for having me. For your contributions here. And, uh, you know, sometimes you uh, gave very good contributions. Sometimes uh, you gave contributions of the cricket variety. But overall, I... I enjoyed your time here on the show, and I'm happy you joined us. And I'm happy your microphone didn't have problems. You you did great. Tec- <laughs> you did great technically. No microphone problems. No bathroom. Oh yeah. I mean, you, I kicked ass. You you outdid Garrett big time in the uh, in the technical department. And uh, thank you to Garrett though for trying. And maybe next week, if your microphone's working well, we can have you back here. Thank you everybody for listening to the De- the Druff and Friends show. Here on March 25th, 2014. We'll be back next week and every week here on PokerFraudAlert.com. Good night and... Shalom.